Hello and welcome to the Weekly Stuff Podcast with Jonathan Lack and Sean Chapman. We are here to talk about stuff. This week on the show, you are going to be hearing another episode of our sister series, Weekly Suit Gundam. This week on the show, we are talking about After War Gundam X, the little-known but excellent show from 1996 that ended a solid four-year run of Gundam on TV in Japan. Really interesting show. If you are a regular Gundam listener to our, our Gundam shows, I think you will really enjoy this one. It is also kicking off our anniversary month for Weekly Suit Gundam, so there's going to be more Gundam content than normal on the podcast this month. If you are not a Weekly Suit Gundam listener, don't worry. There will be plenty of other stuff. We think this time next week we might even have had a PlayStation event, and we'll probably have an episode about that, um, unless that doesn't happen, but we'll certainly record something for y'all. Um, but just wanted to make sure the Weekly Stuff podcast had something in the feed as well this week, so that's why you're hearing Weekly Suit Gundam. I think it's a good episode, and if you have not started listening to our Gundam show, we're really proud of it, and we're going to be celebrating it all this month with different content. So starting today with the After War Gundam X episode, enjoy. Hello and welcome to Weekly Suit Gundam, the special bonus podcast brought to you by the folks at the Weekly Stuff Podcast. I'm Sean Chapman. And I'm Jonathan Lack. And we are back once again to dive into the wacky and wild world of Mobile Suit Gundam. This time on the show, Jonathan, we are talking about um, a show that I think the fandom sleeps on a lot and kind of doesn't give the due respect it is deserved. After War, Gundam X. Absolutely. After War Gundam X, little known, only actually just finished coming out on Blu-ray here in the States. Yeah. So, uh, and it only came out on DVD in 2016, so it is not very well known. It is not too well regarded by those who do know it, but I think we are here to do a little rehabilitation because this, this, this show slaps. Yes, it is in the Double Zeta Victory Gundam pile of shows that I watch and I'm like, why does the fandom not like this show? Because it is very fucking good. Absolutely. But before we talk about After War Gundam X, Sean, we should probably say this is this is coming out at the beginning of June. This is the beginning of our one-year anniversary month yes. here on the show, uh, where we, we premiered Weekly Suit Gundam thinking it was just going to be a little mini-series over the summer. Last June, we released the first episode June 9th, 2019. We are here a year later, um, almost. Next week, we, we fingers crossed, we'll be talking about Turn A yeah. Gundam for our one-year anniversary episode that will be coming out on June 9th, 2020. We're talking about After War Gundam X now, and we have covered a lot of ground in that year, Sean. Oh, yeah. And yeah, so, so much more than I expected. Because we really just thought this was going to be six episodes and done. Yeah. It's been quite a few more. This is 18. Turn A is going to be 19. We're going to have at least one more this month after that. So this month we are talking about two big Gundam shows. We are doing a kind of a, a one-year anniversary celebration episode where we're going to do a bunch of rankings and maybe some listener mail. Yeah, just looking back on this, this journey we have been on. And we have one other surprise for you, uh, possibly, that, that Sean is planning involving yeah. the, the nation of Canada. Yes, it is. hopefully it'll come up. It is. Yes. It is. I was looking around. Like we, we can watch it, and but I was also looking around. Like I wonder if you could get this on physical media, and it exists, but it is very expensive. So we'll probably watch a digital version of it. So Gundam fans know what we're talking about, yeah. maybe. But anyway, today is all about After War. Um, but you know, just as we enter this one-year anniversary month, thank you all for listening. This has yeah. been one of the best things we've ever done. We have. If you don't listen to our other show, we have been doing that for almost ten years. We have 330 episodes as of last week, um, but I will say that the almost 20 we've done of Weekly Suit Gundam have gotten some of the best response and um, 
ratings and everything that that we do and and it's been one of the most fun projects and that's why we're still here going strong a year later yeah also because gundam is real good yes and, and it, you know it is just one of the weird things thinking about going into turn a gundam um which which you have actually watched a couple of the first episodes yes. of um and i have not dived back into it yet but it's funny thinking about one way that this whole thing started was me just deciding on my own because I was, you know, really exhausted during student teaching to just rewatch the original Mobile Suit Gundam and I rewatched Zeta, Double Zeta, and then Shars Counterattack, and then my plan was to just skip to Turn A Gundam, and that was around the time that you finally acquiesced in, in the whole Mobile Suit Gundam thing started for us. And I was like, well, shit, it's good. And so it's like a year later, finally I get to watch Turn A Gundam, which is, or like was, and we'll see, we'll reevaluate it, one of my favorite Gundam shows and the one I wanted to rewatch the most. And now I'll finally get to do it. And now I might be even fucking crazier than you, Sean. Yes. It is. <laughs> it has been a long, crazy journey. But, but for, yeah, for today. Let's John, talk about after war. Yeah, the war is over. So it's time to look at what happens after the war. Um, so yeah, so as always with this stuff, I have already seen After We're Gonna Mix. This is my second time watching it. Um, but it's your first time. And so, Jonathan, I just want your general impressions. How do you feel about After War, The Gundam X? I think it's a great show. Yeah. I think it is not quite on par with the four Tomino shows. Mm-hmm. Original Zeta, Double Zeta, Victory. Oh, that was ominous. That was very ominous. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't think it's quite on par with those four shows, or maybe for me, G Gundam. But how close it comes considering it's not Tomino and they only have 39 episodes to work with is remarkable and I think it is an absolutely essential corner of the Gundam universe as the first time in a full TV series someone had done a Tomino style Gundam without Tomino because G Gundam is very different Um, Gundam Wing has some Tomino elements like Char, Clone, Zex and things like that but it's structurally nothing like a Tomino show this show is basically a alternate universe sequel to the original Gundam. Yeah. If if OG Gundam, if Amuro had really fucked up and everything went wrong, that's what After War is. And I think in how it explores a different history, in how it has um, kind of it takes a lot of the major themes from Tomino Gundam, but from a very different angle, like what it does with new types. I think it is essential viewing for. Um, for fans of Gundam. Yeah. And, and I really loved it. I love the art style. I love the characters. I love the voice acting. I love the music. You know, if it does not quite rise to the level of Gundam's best, well, Gundam is a really great franchise. Mm-hmm. If it, you know, to me, this show might be like an A minus, where my favorite Gundam shows are an A, but that just shows you how great this overall franchise is. This is this is a really special little show. Yeah, I, and I agree with you absolutely. I think it is. It, it has some missteps here and there. Um, it, you know, there are there are things about it that that could have been improved and stuff like that. And obviously, it is also negatively affected. I think um, by its sort of it's, it wasn't canceled, but it was it had its episode count cut from forty nine to thirty nine midway through production, which is a fifth of the series. Yeah, I mean, and it's, it's a more severe cut than Mobile Suit Gundam had. But I also don't think after Gundam X handles it as elegantly as Mobile Suit Gundam. So there are like pieces here and there that, that could have been better. But overall, especially um, if you have seen the stuff that comes before it, if you're a fan of Gundam, so much of after what After War Gundam X does in kind of recon- rejiggering, recontextualizing, um, and analyzing um, particularly Tomino's Gundam 
um, from different angles makes it like a truly fascinating show um, that I'm very, very excited to have this podcast because I think there's going to be some interesting, interesting stuff to dig into. I, and I also just think of how it's structured and how individual mm-hmm. episodes are formatted. It was really trying some interesting new things as yeah. well that I think deserve praise. And, and overall, you know, if, if maybe you haven't seen this show yet and just are listening to the beginning for our recommendation definitely watch after work on the max if you have yeah. any if, if it's don't this should never be anyone's first gundam show yes but if you've seen the tomino shows and you love them and you you want to dip into alternate universe gundam this is one to go to that i think if you like tomino you will like this one yeah definitely if you're just, yeah someone that liked the original like sequence of gundam shows um but then maybe g gundam and gundam wing weren't doing it for you this this is probably like more up your alley and it is definitely I think if you don't have an attachment to Gundam, I think this is like, if, from that perspective, this is like a better than average mecha show. But if you have that understanding of the context of where F4 Gundam X is coming from, I think that's what really elevates it to the next level. Absolutely. So, Sean, do you want to tell us a little bit about the history of After yeah. Work on the Max? So, so there's because this is not as popular a show um, either here or in Japan. Um, obviously, it's only got the 39 episodes. There's not as much information going around about it. So, I actually had to dig into some Japanese internet. Um, I went to the sun, sunrise.fandom.com slash JA slash wiki um, into the After Work on the X page to get some more information about this. Because I think short of buying an old DVD box set from Japan of After Work Gundam X that has some interviews with Takamatsu on it. There's not a lot of ways to actually find out because nobody put a transcript of those online and pissed me off. Um, so this is just some very general information. Um, so not quite the tell-all that I think we got with Gundam Wing um, and G Gundam where there's a lot of good detail about that. So basically, um, the story of where After Work Gundam X comes from starts about halfway through the Gundam Wing story, right? Because... Um, over the course of Gundam Wing, uh, that director, you get a, drops off the project, is fired, like, d- depending on who you talk to, you get slightly different statements about how exactly that went, because it's a Japanese company, and they're not just going to say, yeah, we kicked that dude off the project, um, but it seems like uh, he got fired, and so then they brought on a man named Shinji Takamatsu uh, to d- finish directing Gundam Wing, basically, you know, based on the stuff that they had already done, but to kind of see that show through to its conclusion, after more or less the halfway point to it. So Takamatsu takes over for Gundam Wing, and then a little bit over halfway through its run, um, apparently in November of 1995, Takamatsu got word from Sunrise that they wanted him to take over the next Gundam show as the director as well. So after he finished his work on Gundam Wing, uh, you're going to just move right into After Gundam X, which does not mean... Um, you're going to start like pre-production on After We're Gonna Max, After Gundam Wing. That means like right now you have to start planning the next show because After We're Gonna X starts airing the week after Gundam Wing finishes. Right. So, and this is a block um, that had lasted for four years, basically. Uh, content, like of every single week, there was a new Gundam something on TV. Victory to G Gundam to Gundam Wing. Now to Afterward, it's After been War going Games. for a long time. Yeah, so it is the you know fourth show in a row, four years in a row, um, and you are just going to go right into it. Again, so, the funniest thing in the world to me is the Victory Gundam finale airing one week and the G Gundam premiere airing a week later. Yeah, and the whiplash that must have been to people. Mm-hmm. It's, it is the, that classic anime thing of like we just can't stop the train, so we're just whatever we've got, we're putting in the pipeline and we're moving forward with it, even if in no way uh, feels like a natural continuation of what we've seen. 
Uh, and then, so so back on to Shinji Takamatsu. So one of the interesting things about him, um, and I think one of the reasons why they went to him as a sort of like cleaner, basically for Gundam Wing, is like someone we can just rely on to see this through and then hand off the next project off to, is that he had been working on Gundam stuff since Zeta Gundam. For Zeta Gundam, he had done research and work on like the setting and characters and stuff like that, and sort of was very much behind the scenes. But then over the course of Gundam stuff, he sort of rose up the ladder to doing like storyboarding work for uh, Double Zeta on six episodes. He did some direction work on a couple of episodes of Double Zeta. Um, he did work on War in the Pocket. He did storyboarding in, in uh, episode direction for War in the Pocket. He did a bunch of stuff on most of the SD Gundam shorts that came out um, around this time. He was an assistant unit director on Char's Counterattack, uh, the movie. He did, yeah, so basically he just did a shit ton of stuff on Gundam um, in that period, then obviously then culminating in him doing, taking over for a director uncredited, but we know that it was him on Gundam Wing, and then being the director, and then also doing storyboard work on After War Gundam X. So he, he you know, had worked closely with Tomino on multiple different projects, um, and, and he was a Gundam dude. Like, he understood Gundam. He was a Gundam boy, as they might say in After War Gundam X. Yes, he, he was the Gundam boy, um, and then they handed it off to him, uh, which is very cool. And I'll say I think it shows, because I yeah. do think if Gundam Wing was a very inconsistently directed show, I think After War Gundam X is a pretty spectacularly directed show. There are some, I think the action isn't great, but I think in terms of how it structures episodes and a lot of the individual shot choices... Um, it's it's a really well directed show, and you can yeah. tell Takamatsu knows his Gundam stuff because the way he plays with iconography throughout this show is very impressive. Yeah, and he had also um, like before taking over on Gundam Wing stuff, he had been working on a bunch of super robot shows like um, Brave Fighter of Sun Fight Bird. Like they just have they have a bunch of fucking ridiculous. There's this Brave Fighter franchise that he had done a bunch of work on as well. Um, and then actually, like, after, after War Gundam X, interestingly enough, he did a bunch of uh, shows that I like in the more modern era. Um, and he basically transitioned into doing comedy. Um, and he's, like, a really, really good comedy director. Because he did School Rumble, which is a great um, romantic comedy from, like, the mid-2000s. Uh, that show is awesome. He directed, uh, what, I think it's, like, episodes 105 to 200 of the original Gintama so he directed about 100 episodes of Gintama, did a bunch of work on the Gintama movies, and he would come back and do some stuff later in the series as well. Um, and Gintama is, like, probably the best comedy anime that's not uh, Nichijou, because, you know, Nichijou gets to be focused and tight. Gintama is this big, sprawling show, but, but those one-offs are hilarious. And then he also did a show that is a personal favorite of mine, The Daily Lives of High School Boys. It's a 12-episode uh, comedy show that is basically just about how high school boys are idiots, um, in fact, he had a very funny quote in an interview I read uh, about Daily Lives of High School Boys. Because that's how like little sourcing I could get for stuff on After Gundam X. I just had to read interviews with him from totally unrelated shows to just try to find anything. Um, and in talking about Daily Lives of High School Boys, he said that he was surprised um, to find out that it had a fan base in the West um, because it is a like sort of like a cult favorite over here. But then he said, but then it made me very relieved, relieved because it made me realize that, oh, no matter where you are in the world, high school boys are idiots, uh, which I thought was a very funny and very accurate uh, quote for him. Sean, I got to tell you, I was, uh, I was this many years old when I learned that there are 400 episodes of Gintama. 
I did not know oh, that. Oh yeah, him. no, Gintama no, I, is the like Naruto one yeah, piece. Yeah. Like it is the unspoken brother of, of I, that I should have jump. I should have known that because I actually it was serialized in English Jump way back in the day, and I read the first probably couple volumes worth, but I never followed up with it after they they canceled the magazine. So I just that was off my radar. Yeah, no, Gintama has been running more or less consistently since like two thousand seven ish. Yeah, think. it finally oh. ended in two thousand eighteen. Yeah, but uh, anyway. So yeah. sorry, that's an interruption, but yes, that it actually makes sense that Shinji Takamatsu has a comedy career. I think if you look at some of the character work in this show mm-hmm. and like Gerod as a character and stuff like that, it's um it, he's got kind of a there's there's a lightness to the touch of of his work that makes sense. Yeah, for that. So, anyways, that's that's where he goes. And just like an interesting note for me because he did because I did not realize until looking it up that he had worked on a bunch of stuff I really like because all three yeah. of those shows are great. Um, so anyways, back to after we're Gundam X. So the the most I could find was basically it seems like Takamatsu was not given much really specific direction from Sunrise into what Afterward Gundam X was going to be. Because Gundam Wing and G Gundam both had, as far as I could tell, like pretty severe direction like the Sunrise wanted. And Victory Gundam, obviously, like even more so than anything. Um, lots of sort of, this is what we want. These are the kinds of main characters we want. We want to have these kinds of mobile suits so we can make the toys. And as far as I can tell, that just was not a thing that Takamatsu was given. Um, he had, so this is a quote from um, the Japanese wiki on this uh, that I translated. So he had a vision of a lone Gundam standing in the desert with its back to the camera. And that's why he uses inspiration for um, after Gundam X. Uh, he didn't have a lot of time to prepare the series, obviously, um, given the timeline. So he had the writer for the show, Hiroyuki Kawasaki, uh, basically ended up writing all the scripts. Um, probably he had other people helping him, but, but he's the only person credited, um, as far as I can find, anywhere for um, scripting on the show. And then obviously Kawasaki, as is typical for the person writing the script, is also given the scenario credit that helped kind of come up with a lot of the character stuff and the setting. Um, and would have worked with Takamatsu about that. Specifically, I saw that Takamatsu, the, the idea for like young Gundam boy that is not the new type, and then like the young girl that is the new type, and then like the show partially being about a romance was a specific thing that Takamatsu really wanted to have. Um, yeah, so then the other main thing that he had, um, and this is where we're talking about how like the effect the show has in terms of being a Gundam fan walking, watching it, is that Takamatsu wanted to make a, quote, Gundam that thought about Gundam. So it is a show that he incorporated lots of different sort of metatextual elements into um, talking about new types, the different like characters like Jamil and Lancero being clear parallels for Amuro and Char, like Lancero, the Char equivalent, is given multiple different reworked Char quotes in his introduction episode. Um, stuff like the the war that Jamil fought is the seventh space war, and this is the seventh TV show in the Gundam franchise. Um, is This is takes place in uh, the year after War 15, um, and it has been 15 years since 1979, the original Mobile Suit Gundam, when the show aired. So there's lots of metatextual elements, and those are all surface-level yeah. things, but in the text itself, it is a show that is in some ways dealing with the idea and struggling with the idea of what does it mean to make a new Gundam show in 1996 what is is that even it feels very much like a precursor to a later show we've already talked about Unicorn Gundam yes it it definitely has I think Unicorn Gundam does it overall more successfully in some ways but um, that's not a slight to After War this definitely feels like it paves the way for stuff like Unicorn later on yeah absolutely um, and so that's all I could find about like the before the show was made and kind of building up to it. Um, but then just to talk a little bit about uh, the, the the sort of like the 
you know, elephant in the room about its sort of like soft cancellation. So due to low T ratings in merchandise sales, this is a quote from Anime News Network, um, after War Gundam X was cut short by 10 episodes from its planned 49 episodes, in the Kanto region of Japan, the broadcaster and co-producer of the show, TV Asahi, also switched its time slot to a Saturday morning 6 a.m. slot after 26 episodes, which is not a good slot for Gundam to be in, obviously, because most people are not up in the morning at 6 a.m. And, you know, like, because yeah. it moved from a late Friday slot, which is where Gundam had been on since Victory Gundam, which is, you know, a primetime slot for kids coming home from school and watching themselves some Gundam. So it moved from there after its first 26 episodes to that um, worse uh, time slot. Also, incidentally, um, we know based on a quote by someone who worked on it, I think it was the character designer said that basically um, more or less everything up to the introduction of the G Falcon is what they had originally planned. And then after the G Falcon stuff is where it starts to get breast, which you can very clearly see watching the show. You don't even need someone to tell you that, but there is confirmation and that more or less lines up with it getting moved to that other TV slot as well. So that all kind of makes sense. And, and, you know, I think it's worth saying this is not a Gundam wing situation where it was a super troubled production with too many cooks in the kitchen and no really clear direction. It seems like this was a show that, had extremely, and you can just feel it watching it, had extremely clear direction, a clear vision, a lot of probably agreement among the staff of what to do because it has a very clear forward momentum. It doesn't like waste random episodes. And it's it's really, it was ratings. It was Gundam fatigue. This, As we said, this had been on in the same slot for four years. Also with probably a lot of whiplash for viewers in very different kinds of shows. Yeah, because these are four, like Victory Gundam, G Gundam, Gundam Wing, and After Gundam X are all phenomenally different shows. Is there any other period of Gundam where four shows that different air back-to-back? There is no other period in Gundam where four Gundam shows air back-to-back. Right, So So that's like something to know is that this is the end of that. Like this is, not just because After Gundam X gets cut short, so obviously it wouldn't have run for the full year effectively anyways. Um, after or Turn A Gundam doesn't start airing until 1999. After War Gundam X finishes airing in 1996, in the and same then, year it starts. Yeah, and then Gundam Seed is a few years after Turn A. They yeah. they don't do the we're going to start one one week after the other one ends. Yeah, anymore. so so this is like the end of that period of Gundam, which I think is was good for the health of the franchise overall because I think. I suspect that, that that more than anything is probably one of the major contributors to its low ratings. It's just like, especially if you're someone who really liked Gundam Wing while it was airing and you're watching Gundam Wing and then you switch to After Gundam X, people who really like Gundam Wing probably are not going to like After Gundam X because it's such a different fucking TV show. So you're like shedding your audience, I think, a little bit as you move on to this next show. Yes, and, and I just, you know, even you and I, Sean, we don't like all four of these shows. We like yeah. three of them very much. But Gundam Wing is not quite our cup of tea. I can't imagine a fan who would say all four of these are A-plus favorite Gundam shows. Yeah, you'd have to have a very weird, like, very very broad and accepting taste to have all these be, like, among your favorite Gundams. Yes. Um, It's a really rich, interesting period of Gundam, but it doesn't quite work in that way. So, yeah. Um, And it is too bad that this one got cut short. We'll talk about how they deal with it, because I think they do... Close to as well as they could with yeah. with considering they had even less time than the original Mobile Suit Gundam to like steer the ship home. Um, but I think you want to start talking about the show because I just said steer yeah. the ship. And one thing that's really notable is that I, I even said last week or last time we talked, Sean, about Gundam Wing yeah. that I was missing. Like, and I felt Gundam Wing needed a, a, a vessel, 
with a captain and a crew and a literal direction where like they're going somewhere. Yeah, which they they get in like the last five episodes of Gundam Wing. And yes. it's like if and you realize as soon as it happens that oh shit, this needs to happen like twenty episodes ago yes. for this show to be salvaged. Because it makes Gundam Wing feel very directionless. And to me, Gundam at its core is a ship, a captain, and a Gundam boy, and then some other characters. Yeah. Going in a you know chosen direction and G Gundam I love but it's not really quite a Gundam show. It's a um, and that's literally just a different genre. Yeah, literally just a different genre. Um, After War Gundam X gives me that right away with the Frieden and Jamil and Gerod and all the other great characters yeah. and and it is much more of a it is the first time AU Gundam has has done a Gundam show properly. Yeah, um, yeah, and there's something about like. And that's one of the things I think is a... It's sort of a little bit of a double-edged sword for After War Gundam X. Because it both, like, immediately... It focuses the show. Um, it makes it feel sort of, like, comfortable. You, you, they're, like... It's working in tropes, in narrative structures, in episodic structures... That immediately are, like, ready to you. And it, like, uses them well. But then at the same time, it means that the show doesn't quite ever get to be as adventurous as... Gundam Wing or G Gundam or like some of the later Gundam shows that also play with that structure a little bit more. Um, and I suspect that's one of the reasons why also the show doesn't have um, a huge fan base for it. It's because I think, it, and I think F4 Gundam X does this intentionally. It is trying to have, here is like the basic setup of what a Gundam show is. Um, but at the same time, if you're not someone that's very interested in the like minutia of how then they play with that formula and what it means for what that show is saying about Gundam probably that it's not going to be as attractive a show to you as something else yes I, yeah i totally get that and but i will say this show has a phenomenal opening oh yes because let's talk about structure for a second mm -hmm. because after war gundam x is is as much as it follows a lot of tomino gundam tropes it is structurally quite unique um both within episodes and within arcs because at least for the first half of the show it is structured in very strict arcs so if you are going to start watching After War Gundam X, clear the time to watch the first five. Yes. Because the first five are basically like, you could cut them together as a movie, and it would be very easy to do that. Because it is it is the arc where Garrod meets the Freedon, meets Jamil, fights them a little bit, joins them, and at the end of that, he's part of the crew. The next four episodes, I think they are, are the Amaro Desserts episodes, where he mm -hmm. has some difficulty being part of the crew. He leaves, he comes back, he is humbled... The next five after that are when they first encounter another new type and there's an adventure there. The next six or seven after that are they're going over the ocean. And more or less the show can easily be... Like you could watch this in a series of evenings breaking like if someone gave you the list of like watch these five, then these four, then these five. It would feel like a series of like, like a mini series or something. Yeah. And then within episodes, I love how After War Gundam X structures yes. itself. Because it does something very unique where it starts with a black title card that says Gundam X. Then it has a cold open. And sometimes if you're in the middle of an arc, that is the recap. Although even then, usually you don't want to skip these recaps because they often include new footage. Yeah, usually you get like the last 20 seconds of the previous episode. And then you get a little bit extra before yes. it goes into opening credits. And then you kick into an opening theme song that fucking slaps. Yes. The theme song to Gundam X is incredible. Mm -hmm. And is my favorite AU Gundam theme song so far. It's so good. At least the first one. The second yeah. one's okay, but the first one is amazing. And uh, by Romance Mode, which is a great name for a band. Uh -huh. And then you come out of that, and you have your main episode. You have a break in the middle. And then at the end, instead of having credits and then your preview... I've never seen an anime do this. You it's can tell me if other anime do this. 
it says preview next episode and then there's a picture in picture showing over the course of the 60 seconds of end credits footage from the next episode the narrator gives usually a, a fairly like nondescript like philosophical statement about yes. the upcoming episode and then at the end you get a quote from a character from the next episode that will be the name of that episode so like there's the moon or I am a new type. Yeah, like fly Garrod, and yes. then yeah, up on the screen. Tome, Garodo. Yeah, and then it's up great. on the screen it says that. Yeah, and it is one of my favorite things about After War Gundam yes. X um, is that it plays with this structure. Um, this might be the only Gundam where I have watched every second of every episode because you don't skip anything. Yeah, yeah, you never want to because you're always like waiting for that kiss offline at the end of the ending credits stuff that is yeah. the title of the next episode. Yeah, and it is something where. Um, like certain elements of that structural stuff start becoming more commonplace. So like cold opens um, around this period start becoming very common, if not like more or less standard in anime. Um, although this is still early, like most stuff was still yeah. just as soon as you start the episode, it's that first 90 second theme song. Um, so yeah, the cold open is was still like pretty much not something you did, um, generally speaking, on anime. Certainly not unlike a... Obviously it's got cut short, but something was designed to run one episode every week for an entire year. That kind of show, even nowadays, that kind of show usually doesn't really have the cold open structure because that takes a little yeah. bit... Like One Piece, Naruto, nothing like that does that. Yeah, so yeah, you just typically don't do that. Um, and then the end credits thing is something that is very unique. Um, and it's one of my... I just adore it. I love any time an anime like, plays around with this kind of stuff. Because um, you know what they also do is they buy themselves 30 seconds of extra footage in the episode. Yeah, yeah, by not having the the next on preview um, yeah. be like an actual next on preview and embedding it in the end credits. Because then it also like the end credits song, specifically the version that plays over the first 13 episodes, which is Human Touch um, by Warren Weeby and it is a like the English, an English language song and it's this beautiful soul ballad um, one in, of the yeah. best Gundam end themes. Absolutely. It's sort of in the style of Stevie Wonder, and it, it, it just puts you in the right mood and sort of like feel for After We're Gundam X. And then, then, then also they, they time it perfectly because every like next on preview, like picture in picture thing, that the song obviously is sort of like um, lowered in volume a little bit so that the narration can kind of picks up a little bit more in the sound mix. But then the narration cuts out right at the time the big line in the song comes up, which is, my heart is full of light and laughter, which is just a beautiful line yes. um, that, that Warren Weeby sings so perfectly. And so the whole pacing of it is so tight. It's just a really slick feeling production. Um, and yeah, then, then the, the, the piece de resistance is, is the, the line at the end showing you a like three second clip of the next episode with some character saying a very cool line um and then that's the end of it and then that becomes the title of the next yes. episode yeah. which i love which i have to say my other favorite thing is that i never thought i would make a comparison between gundam and the wire the, the hbo show that is also the naming scheme of wire episodes where every episode of the wire opens with a little epigraph that's a quote by a character and then you wait the episode waiting to hear where are they going to say it and that's just a great little hook. Yeah. And, like, it's fun in The Wire. It's very fun here to, like, you know that moment's coming and you're wondering, like, when is he going to say, fly, Garrod, or something like that, right? Yeah. And uh, it's it's awesome. And it's it shows that there's a real kind of, I think, creative energy and sense of, again, sense of direction and confidence to After War Gundam X that you and I at least never felt was there in Gundam Wing. Yeah. And it just... it. it constructs a unique singular tone and vision for the show. And, and it is... And it's 
all those details. I think maybe like the the smallest one, but maybe in some ways the most impactful is just having the black screen with the white text Gundam X at the very beginning of every single episode. And it just gets you in the mood immediately. And it just, it sets this sort of like very somber tone, which is the tone of After War Gundam X because After War Gundam X takes place after war. Um, thinking on that point um, also about the name of the show, so this is another instance where uh, in Japan it's titled something slightly different. It is titled Kidoshin Seiki Gundam X, which literally means New Mobile Century Gundam X. The main reason I mentioned this is because uh, so so after Gundam X starts airing, I think the week after Gundam Wing, which is also the week after Neon Genesis Evangelion stops airing. Neon Genesis Evangelion's title in Japan is Shin Seiki Evangelion, New Century Evangelion, which means that. There is an alternate universe world where Toonami tried to get After Gundam X and make it big in the West. And they're like, you know what people love? They love Gundam Wing. They love Neon Genesis Evangelion. So let's take this Kidoshin Seiki Gundam X and let's call it Mobile Neon Genesis Gundam X, which would be the best name for a TV show ever. It would be great. We should also point out... After War Gundam X is the official English title in the show because the, yes. the eye catch calls it that. It's the same as like Neon Genesis Evangelion is its official English title yeah. by that studio, by Gainax. Yeah, because in the show, like the, the time period is called After War. Yes. It's not, Sengo is the word you would use for it in Japanese, but it's called just After War. So yeah, After War Gundam X, we're just going to call it that because that is its title over here. But I do like, yeah, yeah. Um, what is it? Shin Kido Seiki? Kido Shin Seiki, Seiki Gundam okay. X. you got to have that, that Kido at the yeah. beginning. If they all have that, yes. yes. So, yes, the rich tradition of this period of Gundam having really creative names, which in the 2000s they stop and they're all just called Mobile Suit something something. Yeah. A Mobile Suit Seed Gundam, you know. Yeah, Mobile Double Suit Gundam, Gundam. Or just Mobile Suit Gundam colon Iron-Blooded Orphan. Yes, stuff like yeah. that. But I do I do like this era in the 90s where they all play with the Kido Senshi part of it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's fun. So yes. Yes. So, um, and so then back onto the note about the structure of the show, Jonathan. I have gone in and looked at the, the episodes and I have constructed what I think are all the different story arcs and I've given them names and I, cause I think this is the best way probably to go through the show because it is very much how it is structured. And I think as we go through this, we will hit on stuff like characters and mobile suits and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely. So let's start with the opening character uh, or the opening story arc, which is episodes one through five, which I call humble beginnings and satellite cannons. <laughs> I love it. I thought you were going to give them like, anime names where it's like the, a weird name of a location like in one piece like Thriller Bark or something <laughs> but no I like this uh, Humble Beginnings and Satellite Cannons that's good it's, it's very descriptive yeah and it is I think um, all said and done I think the opening five episodes are my favorite stretch of After War Gundam X there is something so propulsive um, about the like immediate vision of the show the setting which is very distinct for Gundam um, and just the whole feel and the characters it just has that immediate, like, especially coming off of Gundam Wing. It has this immediate, oh, I'm in Gundam. Like, yes. this is a Gundam show. Um, not saying that it's just, like, a carbon copy. It is doing its own thing. But it kind of felt like that, you know, going from, like, Zeta Gundam to Double Zeta, where, it, like, the mood shift is extreme, but it feels exactly right for what the show is supposed to be. Um, and it, it just immediately is like, oh, my God. Like, this is this is what After War Gundam X is, and it just makes that statement immediately. 
Yeah, I would agree. I think either this first arc or maybe the second arc. I do think like the first ten. Not to put down the rest of the show. It's just, it's such a propulsive beginning. It has such a good sense of character. You meet everyone and they're all so immediately um, interesting and compelling. And I think it has such great ideas like like that first episode ending with has the moon come up? Yeah. And, and this mystery of like, what does the moon mean in this sense? And it's it's really fantastic. And I, you know, I did not know that it was structured this way. But I basically, I watched that first episode and I was like, I need to see more. And I just kept going until the end of the fifth. And I'm like, well, now I can, that's very clearly an ending. Yeah. I will go to bed now. Because it was like 1 a.m. at that point. Yeah, you know? it's definitely like you could just imagine someone editing that together into After We're Gonna Mix the movie and you yes. having like a very satisfying viewing experience. I think I even tweeted after I watched it, if it was a five episode OVA and there was no more, that was it. It would be kind of compelling. Like yeah. you would want to know more. But as just a short self-contained story of this this boy who is a thief who meets this girl and saves her and then joins the but but in saving her he kind of fucks up and then he joins this crew and then goes off like that would be great that would be a really satisfying viewing experience yeah even if there was nothing else and that's a really interesting sign of, of how again how confident this show is from moment one yeah and one thing I love about it, because it's the most concentrated here, and I feel like this element of the show maybe gets diluted as it gets more Gundam Gundam-y, but I love the immediate Mad Max slash Fist of the North Star 100%, yes. Yeah, where you just have, the world is destroyed. So, you know, it's basically um, like, what what ha- like what would happen if Char won and Char's counterattack is more or less the world that these people are living well, in. Let's talk about the backstory yeah. really quick. Just to recap it for everyone. Yeah, so so it is... So the backstory of the show is an amalgamation of the original Gundam cycle, going from Mobile Suit Gundam to Char's Counterattack. So it is... You have a character, Jamil Neat, who is the captain of the Freedom that is the main ship for the show, and he's one of the main characters. He's the bright Noah of the show. And he is set up as this world's Amuro Ray. When he was 16 years old, he fought in this crazy space war against the Space Revolutionary Army. He fought on the side of the Earth Federation government. He was a new type pilot. At the end of that war, um, there was a massive colony drop operation that the Space Army uh, committed to the Earth. And they were going to drop all these uh, space colonies. Jamil tried to stop it using his Gundam X um, and his new type powers and a thing called the Satellite Cannon. Um, which is a sort of like weapon of mass destruction that uses microwave beams sent from the moon, channeled through the the Gundam, and then fired through a giant cannon. Um, But basically, Jamil kind of fucks up, is not able to stop the colony drop from happening. So a colony drop that on a scale we have never seen before, they, they basically recreate shots from the original opening sequence of Mobile Suit Gundam telling you the history of that show in the One Year War where you see the big colony drop on the city. But in the background, there's like dozens of other colonies also dropping. So the the Earth is thrown into a like effectively nuclear winter style scenario. Um, the world is covered in death and despair. Uh, the Earth is completely cut off from space. You don't know at all anything that's going on in space or the colonies until two thirds of the way into the show. And they confirm that at one point in the show, the count, there are only 98 million humans left alive. And before the drop, there were 10 billion. So it's yeah. even more like a, in Mobile Suit Gundam, it's 50% of humanity. It's like 99%. Yeah, this is an, an apocalyptic event. Like this yeah. is a post-apocalyptic, post-apocalyptic Gundam setting. Again, borrowing from Bad Max or probably actually more Fist of the North Star, given like the Japanese yeah. um, context. 
but yeah, so Earth is mostly destroyed, uh, and you have like and the government of Earth is effectively destroyed, which is an important part of when once the Earth government starts coming up again, and they are the quote unquote new Earth Federation, even though it's most of the people from the old Earth Federation because they're old fuckers and you just can't get rid of them. Um, but yeah, so. You have all these old people like Jamil who are now sort of, you know, lived through that war and are trying to, like, survive in this world and make sense of what has happened. But then our main character, Garod Ran, um, it was born basically at the time of the ending of the war. He's 15 years old. The war happened 15 years ago. That's why we were after war year 15. Um, and he has basically lost his parents at a young age, has had to live on his own, live on his wits. Um, it's a very he's got a he's a very like Aladdin style character from Disney's Aladdin where he's like in the streets he's like one step people. ahead of the Gundams exactly yeah. one step ahead of the Gundams and he he has a lot of technical know how so he yes. knows how to operate mobile suits um, because he's very smart but critically Godot is not a new type he is yes. never shown having new type style like flashes he doesn't have that kind of like incredible instinct for what's about to happen in the future he becomes a very skilled pilot. But he's never the best pilot in the show. He's never, like, a superhero-type character. He is the Gundam boy, but he's not necessarily the special boy, um, which is really important for the show, I think. It is the biggest alteration this makes to the Tomino formula, and it's the thing that makes this show... I, I think Garrody is the character who makes this show so special. Yeah. There are lots of other great characters. I will never argue with the greatness of Jamil Neat, because he is wonderful and we will talk about him. But I think Garrod is... One of the most interesting Gundam protagonists we've had, or will have, given some of what I've seen yeah. in the future. I think he's got some of... I, I love the character designs in general, and we'll talk about that later. I think the performance that the, the actor Wataru Takagi gives is incredible. Um, and it is funny, and it is soulful. I think the relationship he has with Tifa, who we will talk about in a minute, is the most adorable thing yeah. ever. And, um, and I think making him so intensely human scale to us... And frankly, more of an audience surrogate than Gundam protagonists usually are, mm -hmm. because he is seeing wonder in new types the same way we are. He is not the source of wonder. Yeah. And and I think the way they do that, honestly, it kind of feels like an evolution of what Victory Gundam kind of did, in that um, the, uh, Uso and what's and Shakti and Shakti, they're both new types, but Shakti has much more powerful new type powers. I think the idea of splitting that completely and making one of them not a new type at all is incredibly smart. Yeah, and it's very rare. Like, the, you all, there's almost no other Gundam shows that have... You know, most other Gundam shows past this point don't have literal new types. They don't use the word, but they have a new type style equivalent. And typically, the protagonist of the show is one of, if not the most powerful, of whatever that new type equivalent is. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, there's a couple of examples where, where that's not the case, but it is it is rare. It was rare before this. It's rare past this. And, yeah, it is something that definitely gives Gato this distinct feel. Um, and then it also, one of the things I really love about him is he, he shares this with Judo um, from, from ZZ Gundam, that he's very self-sufficient and self-reliant. And I like that um, he, like, he doesn't need the Gundam. He, it's not like Camille or um, Amuro or Hiro Yui in a lot of ways also. The, the character is like, without the Gundam, the character loses something about who they are because they like have attached themselves to it. And Amuro and the Gundam are so inseparable that when they try to separate it, Amuro can't handle that sort of trauma and has to escape and make sure that he stays with it, right? That's not Gado. Like, Gado sees 
mobile suits as machines that are probably more valuable to like at the beginning of the show as to be traded for money rather than something that he's going to pilot and fight for some cause that he believes in. He's just trying to get by and he's really good at getting by. And that's something that's consistent about his portrayal throughout the whole show is that it is hard for characters to get one over on him because he's clever, because he's been around. He has, you know, he's got street smarts effectively. Um, he's been taken for a ride by a bunch of different people probably when he was a kid and he knows how to spot a liar. He knows how to deal with that kind of stuff. And he is also a character, and this is maybe my favorite trait he has, that you just can't lock up. No matter what you try to do, any cell you put Gardot in, he's going to find some way to escape it because that's the kind of character he is. And, the, and it's something that like is so fun because so many shows, especially as a big fan of classic Doctor Who, there are lots of TV shows that use... Um, locking characters up as like an easy way to sort of like narratively negate them for a little bit but allow the rest of the story to go on and Gato just doesn't stand for that shit you put him in a cell and he's gonna escape it sometime before the end of the episode like it's no big deal yes. and and everybody constantly is underestimating those elements of him because they just think he's a 15 year old kid who doesn't know shit but he's the only world he's known is a world that is totally destroyed and fallen to shit so he's learned how to cope with it better than any of the adults Absolutely, and and he. I love that you mentioned judo because I thought about this through the whole show. He like clearly judo is the model for Daryl yeah. in terms of other Gundam protagonists because he is not in the model of Amuro or Camille or Uso, who are characters who are defined by their relationship to the Gundam largely. Uso a little less, but still yeah. he's in it in every episode, uh -huh. right? There are plenty of episodes of After War Gundam X where he never even gets in a mech. Or yeah. he tells Jamil, like, you go out in it because I think you need to do this. And then Gero, but he, it's not like he drops off the map, he still contributes. And, and he and Judo both feel like characters who, when we meet them, they're a lot further along their path to maturity than other Gundam protagonists. Yeah. And that's not saying one is better than the other, but it's really interesting because like for Amuro or Camille or Uso, these are coming-of-age narratives. They're about boys becoming, maybe not men, but but growing into a sense of identity. Yeah. And I think Judo and Gerod, it's not that they are fully mature adults. They have growing to do over the course of the series, but they start from a much firmer place of, I know who I am and what my skills are. Yeah, so and it becomes something where like, this we'll talk about once we get into the later story arcs. But a lot of Gerod's story arc in this is him learning. It's not about him growing up in the same way that it is for Amr or Camille. It's more about him learning to think of the world outside of himself in the things that he desires. And it is um, about him kind of like learning that politics are a thing, that ideology is a thing, that there's there are forces in this world much bigger than Gerod, but he needs to understand them in order to participate in them and to push them in the right direction. And that's a lot of what his journey feels like it's about. Yes. Um, yeah. And he's just a fantastic um, main character. I love him. Yeah. You mentioned the voice actor, Wataru Takagi. Um, we have actually seen him before because he voiced the um, Vist Foundation dude with the blonde hair in Gundam Unicorn. Oh, nice. Um, I remember... He yeah. He's a great actor. I while I, this was so funny, Sean. Right before I watched After War Gundam X, I finished playing the first Bayonetta, and in the Japanese version of Bayonetta, he plays the Joe Pesci character. So ah. if you've seen Bayonetta in English, the dude is just literally he's Joe Pesci, like not the actor, but he's uh -huh. he's modeled after him, and the English actor is doing a Pesci impression. But in Japanese, it's Wataru Takagi doing sort of like a that kind of like a Shigeru Chiba kind of archetype, yeah. and he is so funny. 
And I love he brings that same kind of fast talking energy. Like Gerard could be a great con man if he wanted to be. Yes. You know? But I also love how Takagi can can slow down and be like super sweet and like in his feelings in a way the only other like one of the only other Gundam characters who super gets to be that way is in G Gundam where yeah. and it's usually because of these are some of the only shows that really get into the romance between the two leads. Yeah. Um but yeah, it's it's something really special. The range of that performance is to me just it's one of the best. I would put it up there with Toru Furia and some of the other great Gundam leads, you know. Yeah. Um and I specifically remember um him being in Unicorn Gundam because I mentioned in the Unicorn Gundam podcast that that show had two of the main characters um because it was him and then it was the captain of the, of the Earth Federation side in Unicorn Gundam were voiced by two major Naruto villains, Toby, which is Wataru Tagaki, um, and the other one um, was the voice for, of Uchiha Madarame. And here we also get two of the leads are voiced by people who voiced two of the main Naruto villains. Once again, Toby with Wataru Takagi. And then Jamil Neat is voiced by Kinyu Horiuchi, who voiced Pain in Naruto. So, whatever. So, there's this weird thread between Afterward Gundam X and Unicorn Gundam. They both have similar, like, meta thematic com- like, conversations with Gundam, and they both prominently feature. Two voice actors that are probably best known to modern audiences as the voices of two of the main villains from the Naruto series. So that's great. I gotta watch me some Naruto at some point because I keep just just amassing actors I love and learning they're on that show. Which yeah. I mean, it ran for 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 fucking ever. Of course, it has that many great actors in it. But like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's especially it was because the Kinyu Horiuchi um, playing Jimiel Ni. It took me several episodes in of Africa to make some like I, he is. I have adored this voice in something. It is one of my favorite vocal performances in something. I couldn't place it. And then I looked him up. I'm like, oh, he's Pain from Naruto, who is, if you've seen Naruto Shippuden, is like the most memorable. He's the guy who basically nukes the village hidden in the leaves that Naruto is from. It is one of the coolest arcs in the whole show. And Pain is just fucking awesome. And that's where uh, Horiichi has this really nice deep voice of Jamil. He like pushes that down like two more octaves to play Bane. It is fucking the baddest ass fucking thing ever. So That's always one of the best things about anime is hearing a voice and knowing you love it. And then trying to place it and looking it up and being like, he's that guy. Yeah, he's that guy. And then every time I'm watching him, I'm like, oh my god. Like, I, you know, I love to hate pain because he's this real motherfucker in Naruto. And then I just love to love Jamil Neat. Because let's talk about Jamil Neat, our, our grown-up... Um, very, you know, wayward Amaro, the the lost Gundam boy, Jamil Neat. Who I think is an interesting amalgam of three, of the three major characters from original Gundam. Yeah. He is Captain Bright, he is Amaro, and he is Char. Yes. Because he has, he is visually very Char from Zeta Gundam-esque with the yeah. sunglasses and the hair and everything. And he doesn't have a forehead scar, but he has the eye scar. Exactly. Because he's that little extra cool. So you have that Char mystery about him. He's also very attractive to the ladies. Yes. Um, you have... And, and to the men. Like, I'm, the, yes. I'm, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't turn I, my nose at going out of date with Jamil Nee. I just meant in the show because okay, yeah. there's that element but you are 100% correct the shot in the theme song of him walking by with the with the, the moon in the background yeah and his his big long quote quote or coat like blowing in the wind yeah no 
Yeah. Beautiful. He's that's a beautiful as, man. That's as sexy as anime characters get. Exactly. But yeah. but he is he so he has that kind of char aspect to him. He has obviously like when they literally do the flashbacks to him in the the seventh space war, he looks like Amuro. Yes. He's animated to be Amuro. And you would imagine they, they should have just gotten Toru Furia to do the voice for those scenes <laughs> or something, you know? Um but but he's Amuro in that way, and then he is Captain Bright in kind of the calm, steady hand he lends the ship. And his and, relationship with Godot is very yes. Captain Bright, Amuro-esque. And of course, as we've said, those are basically the three leads of original Gundam. And it's interesting how he represents a piece of all of them. Yeah. Um, and yet he is also completely his own interesting character. And he is fascinating. And I love, 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 love that they had the self-restraint and knowledge to keep those sunglasses on until the very last yes. episode. And the key... And I was just... When we got to that last episode, Sean, I was just edge of my seat waiting he's i knew he was going to take them off but when and it is the perfect moment and he doesn't put them back on and yep. it's it's they do they just they know who this character is so well throughout yeah it is because you hyped him up for me you said my boy jameel neat and i'm like okay i gotta watch out for this character and i'm like i get it i get it yeah he's got my favorite character design i love his hair i love his glasses i love his fucking eye scar um and then his role on the show because he is like Probably more than maybe almost any captain on the show, he is like one of the main characters. Other than Iron Blood Orphans, very intentionally makes the captain one of the main characters. But this, but usually the captain is like he's a major character, but the captain's usually a fairly static figure. You know, usually it's more Zeta Gundam Captain Bright than original Gundam Captain Bright. Um, but here, his journey over the course of the show is one of the main sort of hearts of the show, and it's one of the main things that the the final episode focuses on is that. Like, Godot is entirely focused on, I want to protect Tifa, I want to be with Tifa, and that's why he's with the ship for almost the whole show. And then and then in that sort of last third, um, that's when he starts to realize, oh, ideology is a thing, I maybe should think about the actual consequences of my actions, and he starts thinking about bigger things in the world. But this is not a show that the, the momentum of the protagonist is determined by outside factors like a war. This is the momentum of the protagonist is determined entirely by Jamil Neat's need to find out what are new types, like what are the consequences of my failure during that last war, how can I atone for that, and how do I figure out what new types are, and how do I keep them safe, and how do I kind of nurture a better future, and, and create the vision of the future I saw, or he saw, in a very Amuro Ray-esque fashion. Um, sometime during that space war at the end where he saw the tears of time or whatever and he sees his new type powers and saw the future how does he make that future reality or what does it even mean to have seen that future and so it's his journey and his growth that is the overarching momentum that the show has whereas but like most of the individual moments of the show are narrowed down onto god absolutely and it's something i love about it too because while there is kind of a war near the end of the show this is not a war story in that way. Yeah. This is this is this the, is after war. This is after war, and the Freedon is not going on war missions of like we have to go on this campaign over here or something like like a Captain Bright ship would have to do. It is, as you say, it's Jamil's mission to initially kind of save new types, but also try to figure out what's going on. Tifa has these visions; they follow her, and and at the end, the ultimate goal is to avert a war and so yeah. all of those ways like the, the, as much as this borrows from Tomino Gundam and builds on it there are so many subversions that keep it for longtime fans like you and I very interested in yeah. what's going on because 
you know, it feels very familiar and comfortable to have a ship with a crew and it's going in a direction, but the direction it's going in and what's motivating it, as you say, is entirely different than, than Captain Bright, who is on a military campaign and is, you know, trying to capture positions and defeat, you know, um, major enemies and stuff. That's not really what the Freedon is ever up to. Yeah. To the point where the Freedon is destroyed three-fourths of the way through the show and doesn't really come back. Yeah, it comes back in name only, but yes. yeah. Um, yeah, and, and one of the other things I think is very fun about Jamil, specifically um, as a Gundam fan, is it gives you this vision of a Mobile Suit Gundam sequel idea that like I had never had the thought of until seeing After War Gundam X. I'm like, oh, that would have been awesome. And now I get to basically just have that. You get to have your taking you to two of the Gundam sequel where Amuro becomes the pilot for the next Gundam boy. Like, that's such a good idea for a sequel to that show that, like, you know, Zeta Gundam is a better show. I love Zeta Gundam. Zeta Gundam's use of Amuro is fucking perfect and so far beyond anything I would have ever managed to do with that character. But I'm so happy that we also get this idea of, yes, like, it just puts all of my affection for Amuro immediately just gets to be transplanted onto Jamil, and then he gets to cultivate his own brand of affection I have for that character. Yes. But I buy into Jamil. I buy the first time I watched it, I buy into Jamil so quickly. As soon as you see like he has the fucking picture of himself as a sixteen year old in that uniform, like he's just Amro. He's just this world's Amro, but he gets to be the captain for the next Gundam boy. That is such a good idea. Holy shit. And I just loved him immediately. Absolutely. And and it's it's it really is. It's one of those sequel esque stories that it's not about just recapitulating things you yeah. loved. It's about recontextualizing and questioning and building on them. In short, it's more, you know, Last Jedi than Rise of Skywalker. Yes, yeah. It <laughs> is definitely Star Wars stuff. Yeah, it is definitely in the Last Jedi camp. In, in like, the meta ways as well. Yes. Like, yeah, it, it, that's actually a pretty good comparison um, here. No, I could totally imagine, like, like this is sort of like... Uh, Amuro if he became like Luke Skywalker in that movie yes yeah yeah, yeah. yeah Amuro real really fucked up um, yeah. in this world and and you know I also think just the the weight he carries and and that because they they never I think there are periods of the show where I wish the world building did more to show the effects of of this horrific apocalypse mm-hmm. but I think it's always there on Jamil's shoulders and I love that like you never forget and Geralt when he is presented with similar situations also doesn't forget that. It's it's very front of mind for these characters that what happened was really fucking bad. Yes, and that Jamil specifically like carries this huge guilt with him because yeah. he couldn't stop it. Um, yeah. yeah. So I think, let's talk about this first arc, as you said. Yes. Because the first episode is we meet Garod, and actually, back up a second. Let's talk about his name for just a second. Yes. Because... We're, we're basically saying it the way they say in Japanese because I have no idea what the English equivalent of this is. Yes. Yeah, so, so Godot is the second protagonist, but he's not going to be the last where we have to have the how the fuck are you supposed to say this name conversation? In fact, we're going to have to have it with Turnate Gundam. Um, and Lauren or Lauren? I don't know. That's... Who does? Let's just um, call him Laura, like the the dude. <laughs> yeah, we'll we'll figure it out once we we'll burn that bridge once we come to it and turn a Gundam. But yeah, so in Unicorn Gundam, you had Banaji, um, which is not the way that it's spelled. It, it's a weird, feels like a weird pronunciation in English, but that's just how it sounds. And any other pronunciation is so far away, I just can't say it. You're not gonna say Banager. That yes, doesn't. It just it it just the the character doesn't register to me if I if you if someone said Banager to me. And then Godot is the same way, but more subtly. Because, so his name is spelled G-A-R-R-O-D, and, and you look at him like, Garrod? Garrod? Like, those are workable, but they just don't quite 
fit to me. Like like this in, in yeah. Japanese they would be calling him Garodo. Yeah. And and that's and you hear it said so many times by Tifa. Yeah. It's like calling him Garod would not feel right. Yes, because he's Garodo. So so Garod is what I'm going with. I like I just like the fact that the O is emphasized because it's, it's got to be a long lengthened. O. Yeah, it has to be that long O. Um yeah, it's just like it's a really it's a name that doesn't seem like it should be hard to pronounce, but I just find saying it with a standard English pronunciation feels very weird. So yes. yeah, so we're just going with Garod. But the story of this first arc is Garod um Starting out in like the little sort of town he's in, doing a job. We see yeah. that he's very self-sufficient. You get this great world-building bit where he comes across two soldiers that they revisit in the last episode um, that are trying to con a bunch of people and get hired as mercenaries by, by like one soldier hyping up. It's like, have you heard the story of the legendary warriors, the so-called new types that fought in the war? Well, look no further because right next to me, uh, my buddy right here, he is one of those special super new type soldiers and he's got this like lanky buddy sitting next to him just like, what's up? Uh, and it's a really good con that got it sees through fucking immediately. Yes. And he gets hired by a mysterious man to go rescue a girl named Tifa from the Freedom. She has apparently been kidnapped and, and we don't know that the, the full circumstances. So Godot goes, you know, breaks into the Freedom. Gets the T right, or is he going to the Frieden, or is he somewhere else to get Tifa? No, he goes to Frieden. Right, yeah. that's what it is. Okay, and so he goes, he gets Tifa, and they run away together, and and uh, chaos ensues because it turns out th th there are bigger forces here, and he is yeah, not. Yeah, he's being hired by the new type labs to get yes. Tifa back because they want to experiment on her, and as yeah. soon as he realized that, he's like, oh, we should just probably get the fuck out of here, and yeah, then now everyone's just chasing after Godot and Tifa. Yes, and so that first arc is basically about him. Joining with the Freedom kind of uneasily at first. And discovering the, the Gundam X at the end yeah. of the first episode and piloting yep. it. Yeah. Discovers the Gundam X, starts piloting it. Um, I think it's at the end of the second episode when he does the satellite cannon. We'll talk about that in a second. Yeah. But that we let's talk about Tifa because she is the third main character here. And re again, I feel like this is, this is fully committing to an idea that I think Victory Gundam maybe should have committed to more. Of having yeah. the girl be... She is the new type. Yeah. And the boy is the sort of normal... Just kid. Yeah, he's, he's, he's just a normal Gundam boy, not the special Gundam boy. Exactly. And, you know, in a different show, he might be the, uh, you know, co-pilot or the extra dude. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. If He would, he if, might be Kai doing the gun cannon. 100%. If Godot was in the original Mobile Suit Gundam, he would be stuck in the fucking gun cannon while yes. Amuro goes pilots the proper Gundam. Exactly. 100%. Yeah. yeah. And he and Kai are even kind of similar, so that mm -hmm. makes sense. But, uh, so he and Tifa kind of have an immediate bond, and I love Tifa. I love her so much. Yeah. Tifa Adil, which is a great name. Um, and she is, you know, and, and one thing that's important is for both her and Garod, they really do portray them as kids. They yeah. are 15. There are hints of like romance and burgeoning sexuality, especially for Garod in some of the stuff with Anil L, which we'll get to. But the relationship between them really is like kids kind of smitten with each other on a level I don't think they even understand. Yeah. And it's not about, I think this chick's super hot. It's like experiencing actual love for the first time. Mm -hmm. And um, it's super sweet. And Tifa is awesome. And she d does her new type visions by drawing with like graphite on a big easel. Yeah. And she's really cool. Yeah. And I love her arc of her starting as this kind of standard um, Lala Soon-esque new type where she's very aloof, removed from the world. Her mind seems to be like 
in some other place because I mean very literally like is she's she's sensing the future yeah. she has these like weird sort of empathic connections with people and she has these random outbursts that she doesn't seem to fully understand and then slowly over the course of the show you see her kind of grow to be able to socialize with people connect with people on a more like normal level they rather than just sort of feeling things and then moving on um and her kind of actually building those connections and there's something like really effective about that slow burn of seeing because i think as i think part of what you come to realize the part of what the show portrays is that that attitude she has early on isn't just her being a new type it's also like a little bit of an affectation she has that she's like shy she's like afraid to kind of be out there um, and so that slow development, I think, is very satisfying. And I think you and I would agree, while certain things have to get rushed and, and moved around in the final ten episodes, this show paces Godot and Tifa's relationship and her, you know, gradual kind of thawing to the crew and opening up and his gradual kind of coming into his feelings, however you want to say it. Yeah, and learning to care for things more than just himself. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. They, they, they pace that so perfectly. It's never one moment you can point to. It's never like... She's this way in one episode and totally different in the next. It is gradual. It is one of the best inter-character relationships, I think, in all of Gundam. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I love her character design. Um, yes. Yeah, she's just got... It's a very simple design, but it carries itself really well. In particular, I think they do a really good job with her eyes. Yeah. Um, because there's those moments where, like... Because she's never threatening, but she has occasionally like this like glare that is like weirdly unsettling because yeah. they convey that sense that she knows more than anybody else in the room about things that they kind of can't understand, that she's feeling something that other people can't feel. And they communicate that mostly just through animation and her expressions on her face because she's a very sort of silent character most of the time. Yeah, while you said that, I just want to mention the character designs really quick. Yeah. I love the character designs in this show. They're very clearly, to me, influenced by F91, if mm-hmm. you look at it. Because F91 yeah. has... It's the original Gundam character designer. But he kind of, one of the big changes he made is having more adventurous hair colors. And really big, expressive eyes where the eye colors are often matched to the hair color. Yeah. And um, After War Gundam X kind of takes that and runs with it. So you have Godot has the cool green hair... And he's got kind of green eyes. Tifa has sort of light purple hair and kind of light purple eyes. They do this with a lot of the characters. The eyes are so expressive. It, I actually think it, it works much better than some of the other character designs in this period of Gundam not having a huge budget. Yeah. Because it feels like on a lower budget you can make the characters very expressive this way. And basically just start to finish, I love every character design in this show. It's very striking to me. Um, especially because F91 is my favorite aesthetically Gundam yeah. thing. And I always like anyone sort of taking some cues from it. Absolutely, yeah. So, all right. But let's go ahead and, and break down the plot of this first arc. Um, I I love so much about it. I love the weird fixation on the moon you get in the first episode where mm-hmm. he's like, has the moon come up? And we're like, what's the significance of the moon? And in the second episode, Tifa's like, I'm going to help you out. She, the, the line is literally, I'll give you power. And that's yes. the name of the episode. And she aligns the cannon. And then there's this crazy microwave beam coming from the moon to the Gundam X. And it has this fucking just nuclear blast crazy thing that he can do. It's, and then that becomes this obviously recurring motif throughout the entire show. Is this, this source of power from the moon where they eventually go and it's where it ends. Um, and the satellite cannon and everything. 
it is such a cool idea immediately and makes the Gundam X, even though most of the mech designs in this show are just recycled from other shows, there's yeah. not a lot of originality to it, it makes it feel like its own thing right away. Yeah, I would say that like in terms, in terms of mobile suit design, the only mobile suits that I like in the show particularly are Gun- the, the Gundam X and the Double X. I think both look good because they're, the, yeah. they're the hero Gundams. They're always going to have a lot of time and care put into them. They basically look like... Uh, but the Double X looks like the Gundam Mark II with the body of the Victory Mark II. Sure, <laughs> like, yeah. Because it's got those those wings coming mm-hmm. out. Um, but yeah, it's they're, they're mostly recycled parts from other Gundams. Yeah. But yeah, but the, the defining trait of the X Gundam and, and the Double X is the huge fucking cannons they have on their back that flip up and do the satellite cannon thing. Um, I love the the effect they have. Um, you know, is that that like nice piece of recycled animation of like the beam coming down and then hitting the cockpit and then it connecting with the cockpit is like you dropping a stone into a like puddle of water. Yes. Um, it has this really great sound effect in the way that it just like reverberates. I don't know physically what that is actually meant to represent. I don't really understand how the satellite cam is supposed to work. It doesn't actually make any fucking sense to me at all. How, why it's on the moon, why it's sending the microwaves, how that turns into a giant laser, no clue. But it is so evocative. Um, And yeah, and the constant concern throughout the show of, is the moon out like, should we fire the satellite cannon? Should we not? Do other people have satellite cannons that we need to worry about? That sort of constant motif um, and the moon being this, like, visual um, motif constantly through the show is really effective. And it makes just, like, the Gundam X, while it is not necessarily the most striking visual design of all of them, it has this, like, very unique identity immediately um, that you can just see because it has this giant gun on its back all the time. And they establish it so effectively in this um, in episode two because episode, episode two is actually maybe my favorite episode in the whole show because that's the one where um, it starts out with you have um, this cool lady vulture, which vultures are Mad Max people in this world. They just are mercenaries, bandits, whatever. They just go around, use mobile suits and um, ships and like wreckage from the war to make a profit and to live in this like desolate wasteland. Um, and it's just fun to hear all the characters say the word vulture all the time because it's just a good word that they use. And it's this lady who's a vulture who's voiced by um, the woman who voices Rekua from Zeta Gundam, and she's in a bunch of stuff. She also Lady Tsunade from Naruto, because of course everyone's from Naruto. They throw anyone, they've been in an episode of Naruto. They've probably also been in an episode of One Piece. Um, but yeah, so she like gets this information that, that a Gundam has been found, and then she goes to go fight the Gundam, and she fights Godot a little bit, and then all these other vulture mobile suits pop out of nowhere, and all these different vulture groups all descend on Godot and this lady and you think that the episode's going to be about Godot fighting this one lady because she's voiced by a like really notable voice actress that has played a main character in previous Gundam shows um, and she the, the fight isn't even about her and Godot while Godot is running away she gets tackled by a bunch of other mobile suits and just gets crushed in her mobile suit and, and she's dead and it is just immediately this sense of these are what the vultures are that they literally descend on her like a pack of vultures, kill her, and then they make off with the suit while other mobile suits from that group of vultures are chasing the Gundam because they don't want the Gundam for power. They don't want the Gundam because they want to use it to win a war. They want it because they want to sell it because it's a Gundam-type mobile suit and it's going to make them a lot of fucking money. Yes. And that is does so much to establish the world that I agree with you. You had a statement earlier, Jonathan, that there's later points in the show where I feel like it gets a little bit away from it and kind of forgets a little bit what makes this setting unique 
but it, it this episode just so vividly establishes the dog eat dog style world or mobile suit eat mobile suit style world that they are living in um and and then it concluding with Godot being on you know back to a corner tifa giving him power him firing the satellite cannon um and then him realizing oh i just killed probably like 50 people in the span of one second and then tifa getting this intense new type shock from the like pain and the suffering of all the people that just died in a flash of light in front of her and she gets put into a coma like it is just a incredibly powerful very gundam fucking episode that exemplifies a lot of the best things about afro gundam x to me I agree 100%, and I love where it goes after that with, you know, now that Tifa is in this coma, you know, uh, Godot gets captured by the Frieden and has this, over the next three episodes, a pretty contentious relationship with everyone there, while they all do want to save Tifa. And so the, the rest of this arc is you have, they are trying to get back to the new type lab to use its technology to save Tifa's life. We meet one of the two Frost brothers here, Shagia Frost, yeah. who we don't know is going to be as significant as he is, but he's this weird dude who comes in and offers to go get Tifa. He becomes kind of the key antagonist of this arc, and there's this you know big battle there at the New Type Lab, culminating in the fifth episode, which is one of my favorites, called You Will Pull the Trigger, mm-hmm. which is where Jamil and Godot work together, and Jamil... Uh, Jamil has this condition where he like he is, has PTSD. He cannot get in the cockpit. He cannot really use his new type powers. But he helps Godot aim with his new type powers and fire the trigger to basically destroy the new type labs minus Tifa and then get yeah. her out of there. And it is again just the amount of good character work done in these episodes of going from Jamil and Garod having this very contentious relationship there's this great scene I think in the fourth episode where they're like out on this field together talking yeah. after Jamil has because as you said you can never lock um, Garod up so you all he always gets out yeah he escapes multiple times to go get flowers to put yes. into the Vaz which is the, they face. are the cutest characters yes. they are so adorable yeah <laughs> he literally goes escapes goes to a flower field by where the freedom part is parked gets some flowers puts it in the vase and then locks himself back up in his cell yes. and that fucking dope who's like the pilot of the freedom <laughs> wakes up is like what happened uh, yes. I must have but, fallen asleep Weird. but there's that beautiful scene where Jamil follows him out and Jamil is baffled by this kid he yeah. can't figure this kid out because this kid is as you just said he is breaking out he's scot free but he goes and gets flowers, brings them back, gives them to Tifa, and then goes and locks himself up. And he's like, what the hell are you doing? He doesn't say that. But yeah. it's that kind of thing. And and realizing, okay, there is something so pure about this kid. Because what he wants is to make sure Tifa is okay. And if that means staying in a cell just so he can be close by and like periodically give her flowers that she may or may not even be aware of because she's in a coma, maybe I can trust this kid. And, and Garod also kind of being like, what the fuck is this dude doing ca- um, captaining a vulture ship? Because mm-hmm. that's what the Freedom is. Yeah. Considered as a bunch of vultures. And so they the way they can't figure out each other, and then in that fifth episode, when, when the line, you know, you will pull the trigger, I will aim, and they come together and do that, it's such good character arcing. And it is such an immediate, great understanding of the characters and their relationships with each other. Oh, it's so good. It's very good. Because isn't that also... Those, the episodes four and five is where um, Jamil contacts the other Vulture pilots. Yep. And they all come together to attack the new type labs. And you just yep. get this... They're only in those two episodes. So they're just kind of throwaway characters. But you get this nice like assemblage of... Here are these other like weird people who have just been living in this wasteland um, yeah. through having their mobile suits. And then you know 
obviously there are some vultures that seem to live actually by this like code of honor and they have their like their vulture signs that they shoot flares into the sky like all that world building is so great they're very basically like pirates in one piece like some of them are more evil and some of them are just kind of like like interested in being free and going out and like but they have honor and they will unite for a better cause and that sort of thing and yeah and jameel is very clearly widely respected because he's a good guy and he's a good leader and yes that's why again this these first five feel like they could just be a great gundam movie because that climax is so big and satisfying yeah um yeah yeah. so also just thinking about uh the titles of these episodes my favorite episode title um is the one from episode three yep yeah so because it's when you have shaggy frost and it's especially when you get the line at the end of the previous episode because the line is watashi no aiba wa kyobo desu um, which means the 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 translation of Wikipedia is my favorite mount is ferocious, but specifically the word Iba that they use for like favorite mount is the kanji for love and the kanji for horse yep. um, put together into one word. And there's something about that line that immediately you see that dude say that at the end of episode two, at the end of the credits, and you're like, this is a real motherfucker. There's something about this dude because he's obviously he's talking about his his he has a Gundam type mobile suit also, but it's like this guy's a fucking thing. Because the Frost Brothers were one of the things that, like, I didn't remember a lot of the specifics about them from the show. Because I think they're one of the elements of the show that sometimes it does very well with, sometimes not so much. Um, but, but as soon as you see this, like, oh, yeah, this character, this guy. It's, it's the best moment with the Frost Brothers yeah. is, is my mount is ferocious. Yes, good stuff. Uh, anything else to say about this opening arc? Um, it's really fucking good. I love it. Yep. Yeah. All right. Arc number two. I can't wait to hear yeah. what you've called it. Well, this one is pretty standard. Uh, arc number two is episodes six through nine, Gato Desserts, because <laughs> that's what it is. It yes. is the it is the perennial uh, Gundam protagonist realizes they're in over their head. Something has gone wrong. They're like, I just can't deal with this situation. I'm going to fucking bail. Um, and this is one of the best versions of this story arc because uh-huh. it speaks to something very specific about Gato's character um, because he's not leaving because someone got you know like mad at him or because someone's going to take him off the Gundam he's leaving because he can't function as a normal like social human being because he's lived on his own literally his entire life since he could like you know understand that there was a world around him he has not had actual people there to like take care of him and friends and parents and anything like that so it is this really like excruciating and it almost is like leveraging this kind of like cringe style thing here of you seeing the way that like Gato just can't mix with these people and a lot of them understand that but they also don't really know what to do about it so one of the things I like is that they're good at characterizing here the Frieden crew because this is like where we really start to get to know the crew of the Frieden a little bit better and they manage to both create a huge amount of friction between them and Gato without ever you making you feel like the Frieden crew is wrong or bad for acting the way they are just you can just tell this like it's going to take time for all these characters to get acclimated to each other for Gato to understand what it is to live with other people for once in his life. Yes, absolutely. It starts with a very good action episode where um, we meet Anil L, who is becomes a major character over the course yeah. of the show. And um, there's this battle at this nuclear power plant going critical. Right, yeah. And Gato should flee. Jamil goes out to try to warn him. Garot is being stubborn, and then it ends with this big explosion where Jamil is is basically thrown into a coma of his own. Yeah. <laughs> uh, needs surgery and stuff. And that is where the crew does get mad at him, but you're right. It's it's like, it is this interesting thing where I think the difference between this and like Amado desserts is 
Goddard knows he fucks up. Yeah. He has no, I think, internal disagreement with the crew's diagnosis that he really fucked up. And Jamil is someone he doesn't know that well yet, but he feels really bad about getting him hurt. Like, like that's not in dispute. And Goddard has this choice of trying to work through that or run, and he runs. And, yeah. he, and he regresses to kind of his basest instinct, which is, as I said earlier, a con man. He, I 100% believe he is not intending to give that gun to Mop when he sells it to a uh-huh. DLL. He is intending to con everyone and get a bunch of money and probably go, like, get Tifa and run away. Like, yeah. that's his plan. Or, you know, take the money and the gun, then go to another town, do it again. Do it again. Yes, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. He's, he's a con man, and he decides, and in these episodes, one of the episodes is just called... I'm selling this Gundam. Yes. Which is great. Gundam Udio. Yes. Yeah. And, and him doing this auction with it. He eventually sells it to Anil. And then something I found really compelling in these episodes. And this is something I, at least in the chronological order of Gundam so far when it came out, felt new to me in Gundam was dealing with um, sexuality as, as um, directly as it does. Because there's uh-huh. an undercurrent of sexual discovery for all of the Gundam characters to a degree. Maybe not do so. But like... Because that yeah. would be weird. <laughs> uh-huh. um, but like for Amaro and for Camille and for Judo, there's some of that there. But like one, Judo has totally fucked people before. Yeah. So like that's like that's just he's he's very clearly a sexual being already. Yeah. Camille and Amaro, it's a little different because they have these like sweethearts they're with, and you know it's mm-hmm. just it's 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 more sort of sublimated. But this is very direct. And Neil tries to sleep with them. Yeah. And and he is too. And I think she's genuine. And and mm. he is kind of distrusting, and he is walled off, and he also, I think, is afraid of his own sexuality, in a sense. Yeah, and it's this, like, interesting, because he's 15, I think she's supposed to be, like, 18 or 19, so it's this, like, college freshman, like, kind of preying on this, like, high school kid, yeah. is basically what it is, which is, like, a weird dynamic but it, it feel but it's a thing that happens right because yes. it is it is Anil gets to have all the power power dynamic in the relationship if she's trying to be with someone that much younger obviously like there's ethical stuff and Anil is a fucking weird lady um it's and, also the post-apocalypse and- yeah it, yeah it's it, it's like I think like Anil is a character that it's kind of like with the Frost Brothers there are times I think she works really well for me in the show and there's times where I feel like they don't know what they're doing she's also the character that gets suffers a lot from those she gets shortchanged in the end yeah. I, I like Anil throughout but yes I, I, I'm sad she clearly they had more to do with her and they yeah. weren't able to do it and that's too bad because I think she's a really interesting character she gets really angry because of this like of him kind of rejecting her yeah because again like what she's expecting it feels like is this just relationship where she's using her sexuality as an older woman to just completely dominate this naive young boy that she's sort of attracted to yeah and that's not what happens because gotta like literally just pulls a fucking pistol on her yes it's a great scene and i don't usually love i don't really ever love the like scorned woman archetype but i think what they're doing is a little more complicated than that with anil um, and I, and again, I wish like there, what, what's missing in the last 10 episodes is a clear reconciliation between her and Garo. Yeah. They have one small scene that is not enough, um, yeah. between the two characters. Yeah. Because what gate gets her angry, it's kind of like him rejecting Anil is not about her. It's about him and her getting angry at him rejecting him is not about him. It's about her. Yeah. So it's like, it's this interesting meeting of these characters that I think clearly was a setup for a payoff we never get. Yeah. But I do like it in the moment, and I think it's an interesting um, series of actions between these characters. And it's one of the things, when I was watching these episodes, I thought to myself, 
okay, I can 100% see why this show didn't take off just looking at the text. Uh Because especially coming off of G Gundam and Gundam Wing, this is exploring territory that is more complicated and adult and fraught with nuance than those shows get into. For better, for G Gundam, for worse, for Gundam Wing. Um, But like... It's it's asking questions that, like, for the shows that have been in this time slot for two years now, you would not be used to. Yeah. Um, and it's that thing with, like, Anil, where, I, yeah, I feel like her stuff here is really good. Um, and, it, yeah. and it, like, sets it off really well. And her stuff in the next story arc also works really good because you get into her backstory a bit more. But I do think it's, like, past that point, it is this thing where it's, like, they needed to find a way to, I think really kind of dig into why she felt so like so intensely about being scorned by Gata because I think a lot of it just comes from my read of it is that that she wants this easy power dynamic that she has control of because she doesn't she wants to have control of her life she wants to have that power and there's no real ways to have it in this destroyed fucked world that she lives in and so I can see the read there and I think there's the those pieces but yeah, they never kind of fully congeal together. I can 100% easily imagine if they had 50 episodes, this all working. Yeah. Well, I mean, so, because one of the things we know that was cut, um, because they, they're, a sketch of it was released, is that she was going to get her own Gundam yeah. in the last stretch of the show. Um, and that obviously never happened. Yeah, I think that and some stuff with the Frost Brothers that we'll get to later are the two big casualties of the closing arc. Yeah. But we'll talk about that later. Because what happens in this arc is that after that, Anil decides to attack the Freedon to provoke Garrod and uh, very much in the fashion of the Amro Desserts arc he comes yeah. back because he cares about these people more than he wants to admit and he saves the day um, although you also now have to fight um, uh, the, the Frost Brothers come in a bunch of crazy shit happens that ninth episode which is called like rain falling on the city ends with him microwave beaming the fucking lake yes. and the, the lake vaporizing into steam that falls down on the city and it's a very again like the climax episodes of these arcs are always very good yeah and that's another one but yeah i agree with you what you said earlier that i think this is one of the best character x desserts arcs yeah and um it's it does it really well and in a way that feels like it's following the archetype of what amuro did but in a way very specific to Godode that you would not get with a different character yeah and i think one thing that's interesting about after we're going to mex because we'll get to it later is they still have a Ramba Rao-esque character um, that is voiced by the dude who voices Ramba Rao, um, but they don't use him here. They use him in a totally yes. different narrative context, um, which I think like kind of highlights how strong this is, that they, they use the premise of the God of Des- or the Amaro Desserts arc, but don't do all the individual elements. They save remixing some of those elements for other story arcs where it's more effective than yes. putting the Ramba Rao boy and in. since I did not realize the character you're referring to was voiced by Ramba Rao that explains why I loved him so much because yep. I the whole time I was like I know this voice I know yep. this, this guy's great we'll get there yes so next up the next story arc is episodes 10 to 14 which I have called Karis the New Type in the Land of Snow <laughs> um which is probably the most serious name of any of these. No, I have one more that is a good, like, serious... No, if they made, like, a series of novel adaptations of After yes. Gunna Max, this would be what this book is called. I feel like now I need to do the film cuts of these, Sean, just so I can put your titles on uh-huh. them. After War Gundam X 3, Karis the New Type in the Land, Land of, of Snow. Snow. Now that I think about it, I think that is basically the title. With, like, the specific names, but I think that's basically the title of the first Naruto movie. Now that I'm on my Naruto kick, I don't know. You're always on a Naruto kick it's shot. It's very true. All right. But yes, this is this is another really good arc. I think these first three arcs are kind of 
not that the show gets worse after this, but just this is kind of like my peak memory of affection for this show. Yeah, I agree. I think it, it is because I think this is where the newness of After Work MX in the setting of After Work MX is like most potent. Yes. Oh, I do yeah. think they stopped using the setting as effectively after this, but for now they, they're still using it effectively. So let's talk about the Land of Snow and our boy Paris because this is a really cool arc. Yeah, so this is where the new type stuff really kind of comes front and center because we get our first, second new type. Um, I guess depending on how you categorize the Frost Brothers because they're category F. Actually, that's exactly how you're supposed to categorize yes. them, um, as we all know. But yeah, so you have Karis, who is actually a cyber new type, effectively. I forget what word they use. They don't use the Kyokuningen, but they, they have their own version of what cyber new types are. Um, We're not, and, so we've got to say, by the way, Sean, his name is Karis Nautilus, which is yes. a great Gundam name. It's a very good Gundam name, and he's a good... I love Karis. He's a really good yes. character. He's just like, because he's the like really smarmy, thinks I'm, he's better than everybody, blonde boy, that, voiced by a woman with like a very like intense voice. Um, it's just a good, I just like that kind of character archetype in anime. Absolutely. Um, and, and this is where you get some more like remixed Gundam elements where you have, uh, Karis's mobile suit has bits. So, um, this is where a big thrust about the, through this whole arc is Godot himself kind of having to deal with the fact that he's the Gundam boy, but he's not the special boy. That's yes. like, he can't do the shit that Amuro does. So him fighting another new type, which he eventually can fight Karis, but it's a, through a lot more effort and he has to kind of construct a more favorable battleground for himself right like he can't just go toe-to-toe um without having practice without having like really worked at this to fight the specific mobile suit he's just going to get his ass kicked every time because he's surrounded by bits um that he can't deal with um which is just a a really strong character arc for him to kind of have to fully solidify because this is where i feel like the show more or less establishes and confirms Godot is not going to be a new type in this show. If he was going to be a new type, it would have happened here, and it doesn't. Exactly. And I, I definitely had that, because I don't know if I was even consciously thinking about, oh, he's not a new type yet. Yeah. This is the arc where, if you haven't thought about it yet, they will make you think about it yeah. and reflect on it. Yes. I want to say a quick thing about the actor who plays uh, Karis. I was trying to look up, because I thought I recognized the voice. It's Yuko Mizutani, who sadly died young. She died at the age of 51 in 2016. Um, I couldn't find a specific role I remember her from. She's in a bunch of Gundam shows in small parts like this. Um, I was entertained to see she is the voice of Buffy in, in the Buffy the Vampire Slayer dub. Nice. That's one of my favorite like credits, if you can find them, for Japanese voice yes. actors. Is what, what like dub voices have they done? Yeah, I think she's, she's like the official dub actor of Sarah Michelle Gellar, or she was. But that, that meant she did all of Buffy. And I like the idea of Karis being Buffy. Yes. Yes, but no. Um, yeah, this is a really interesting arc. And it's, it, this one starts to develop like the kind of overall structure we're going to get for the show, which is Tifa has some kind of vision, and they decide to go chase it. And I love like Jamil in this arc, especially in the first episode, being very like, I, I hope this is a nice new type, because yeah. I don't want to have to fight him. And, and it gets very complicated, because Karis is only sort of a new type, and he's an enemy, but he's actually a good person deep down. So there's like a lot of layers to kind of tear apart over the course of this arc, as well as um, one of the first kind of like little civilizations we've gone to see. Because what's the name of the town they go to? Fort Severn. Yeah. Um, and, and it's this interesting, you know, kind of militarized place that we meet. Um, and then we also have the Frost Brothers kind of fucking around around the edges in this one. Yeah, they're always fucking around yes. and around. That's like their their whole deal. Um, because the but the other major thing about this is again like going back to world building is that um, you find out about, like halfway through this arc that the person who's the leader of Fort Severn 
is a remnant of the Space Revolutionary Army, basically this show's version of, of Zeon, and that he's been stranded on Earth, and then this is where Emil, you find out about her backstory, that her dad was also this big, hotshot military man for the Space Revolutionary Army, and that it, like, is this sense of, before you actually get the reappearance in the last section of the show, you get this, re like, sense of, oh shit, like, there are these ghosts of the war around the edges that they're dealing with. And it like kind of comes full. Yes. Like, like it comes up to the front of the show at this point that's been in the background a little bit of this. The war is not really done. There are, there are remnants of this war everywhere. Um, and if there are people like Jamil left who fought on the Earth Federation side, that means there's going to be people on the other side as well. And that culminates in him having like his big Xeon style death mobile armor that destroys the whole town um, that they barely are able to stop. This is another arc where you really see what you were talking about earlier, Sean, of Gato does not need the Gundam to be effective because yeah. he, once uh, Tifa is is captured, as she frequently is, um, kind of in the Shock T mold. Yeah. Although not, it's not nearly as bad as with no. Shock T and Victory Gundam where she gets captured once an episode or something. Um, but she gets captured here and Garo just goes in behind enemy lines without anything. Just with yeah. the clothes on his back and he goes in and he, he gets, he's very effective. Yeah. He's very good at breaking people out, including himself. Yeah, I have to admit my previous statement. Not only can you not lock Garrod up, you can't lock anyone that Garrod likes up either, because he'll yes. just break them out too. Like yes. it's just impossible. Like you just can't do it to the kid. Yep. And it's very good stuff. Um I forget what episode it is in this arc, but there is an episode that ends with a fight between Garrod and I think it's Karis in the yes. snow. That is my favorite, probably piece of animation or direction in this in this series, and I have the the clip here. Sean and I are just looking at it, mm -hmm. where it is the two Gundams fighting with their light beams in the snow, and it's like so they're obscured, and all you can see is the the light beams itself. Karis's mobile suit also is basically just. Um, uh, the cubelet, the cubelet, yeah, and yeah. it's really cool. But it is look at how good a piece of direction this is, mm -hmm. Sean. I mean, it, it reminds me of like the end of like Star Wars Six, where Darth Vader and Luke are fighting in the background, and it's really all you can see is their lightsabers as they're pushing each other. Yeah. It's really good stuff, and this show has some moments of really virtuo virtuosic direction, and I think this is one of them. Yeah, I so agree. I really love that that scene, and I just had to mention it. Yeah, very very good. And then Karis, of course, does come back later, and I love when he does, because Karis is a, is a good character, and I like how he's redeemed over the course of this arc, and decides that he's going to stay and, and try to rebuild this, this society. Yeah, I just like that, you know, Garrod and Tifa get to meet, make a friend, and then yeah. the friend comes back, and it's just like solid, good solid storytelling. That, like, that is the... meat and potatoes anime. Yes. You make, there's an enemy, he becomes your friend, and then he helps you later. Yeah, they, they Vegeta Karis, and, you know, it works well every time it happens. Um... He's nice. He's significantly nicer than Vegeta. Sure, he, does, yeah. he does not come back and then you know punch Garrod in the balls. Yeah, yeah. Because Tifa, yeah, and also yeah, like he's nicer when you meet him at first because Karis is just doing what he thinks is right. He's yes. not just like murdering his friends for no reason because they're just like weak. Um, although you know, Nap is an asshole. Like, yeah. uh, nobody really, no one's shedding a tear that Vegeta just decided to. Maybe snap maybe, out maybe of the bigger issue in the comparison is Vegeta's goal is to wipe entire races off the face of the earth. Yeah, there's no moment <laughs> equivalent to when Vegeta goes to Nap. And he just wipes out an entire village of Namekians to get a fucking Dragon Ball. Yeah, Vegeta knows he's evil at the beginning. Yeah, he's just leaning into it. All right, what is your uh, name for the next arc, Sean? So the next arc is this is we basically have a one episode. There are two of these um, that I identify over the course of Afric and the Max. We just get this like one episode break. It's kind of a one off that focuses on side characters mostly. So episode fifteen is Wits and Royabee's day off. 
um, where this is one of the best episodes because this is the episode where we haven't talked about them, but Wits and Royby are the two sort of they start out as mercenary uh, pilots that the Freedman has hired, and then over the course of the show, they like become basically parts of the the Freedman's crew, and we can talk about their characters um, with this episode. But it has this just great fucking framing device where you start where you just start with Wits and Royby are at this crossroads with a sign that's pointing one direction one way, the other direction the other way. Um, Wits is going to go left, Royby's going to go right, or whichever one it is. Um, and they have this conversation about which road leads to heaven, which road leads to hell. Um, and they're like, ah, I just don't like framing things that way. They just have this fun little like back and forth, and then they go down separate roads. They then have d- different adventures that dive into their backstory, who they are, like why they're doing what they're doing. We have seen with Wits multiple times at this point that he is collecting this comically large suitcase for a mobile suit full of giant gold bars, which is very good. Um, and then Roy B is, you know, he's just like this playboy, kind of find out about their backstory. And at the end of the episode, they both meet up again at those crossroads. They're like, so anything cool happen? And not really. And then they go back to the ship. And it's just a really great little self-contained side story with these two characters. It really is. And I do love these characters, particularly Wits, because he is voiced by my boy, Kazuya Nakai. Yep, Rodo is Zolo himself. Yep, he's wonderful. He is Zoro on One Piece. He is Shinji in Persona 3. And he will be Jin in the upcoming Ghost of Tsushima. Yes. He is just such a great actor. And this role might as well be his fucking audition for Zoro, if you like look at the <laughs> yes. dates. Because, uh-huh. because like, it's, it's, he, it is such a Zoro-esque character in a lot of ways. Of like this kind of short fuse, badass voice. The other main, like, masculine figure on the ship he's always fighting with, like, like Roya B might as well be Sanji, because yeah. they have that kind of, like, they're clearly friends, but they bicker a lot. Yeah. Um, and he's great. I just, Kazuya Nakai has one of the most, like, just striking voices in all of anime, I think. And it's put to very good use here, and it reminded me how much I, I love him in everything I hear him in. Yeah. So. And Wits also has a very cool, like, bomber jacket. Yep. Um, which is very nice. And he pilots the uh, the Gundam that transforms into a plane. Yeah, the Airmaster. The Airmaster. That one's really cool. And then Royby has has a cool kind of, like, the gun tank equivalent that's, yes, that's the, really nice. the Leopard. The Leopard, yes. yes. Um, but I like I like those characters a lot. I think um, they're used really interestingly in the early episodes because they're kind of on and off the ship. And then eventually they come back on kind of full time and Wits takes his briefcase full of gold onto the ship with him. Um, which I question where they would even fit it. But that's fine. Cause it, never, in, it never comes up again no. after this point. Because yeah. he's hiding it if, if, in those early episodes. He, we, did, we skipped this. It's in one of the earlier arcs. He's hiding it under a skyscraper. Yeah, that has like, collapsed yeah. in the war. Yeah. And, and he lifts it up and then some vultures find it. And there's a whole story where he has to go get it. And that's why he comes back to the Freedon is he needs a place to hide his gold, basically. Um, but yes, I like Wits and Royaby a lot, and I'm very glad they get this one episode sort of focus because it's, as you say, it's a very special little episode. Yeah, um, and so you just talked a lot about Wits. Let's also talk about Royaby because he is voiced by Takumi Yamazaki, who we talked about very recently because he's also George DeSand um, from Mobile Fighter G Gundam. That so, makes complete sense. Yeah. He's, he's basically George DeSand again. <laughs> yeah, so they, they, they brought him back. Um, he's basically George DeSand without the scruples. Like yes. Because he... he, he um, and it's it's another one of the things we were talking about in Neil uh, about like the show being a little bit more mature in how it depicts sexuality is that Roy B is not just like a playboy archetype he's literally a playboy like yes. there is a point later in the show where he just picks up a woman sleeps with her and stays at her house for a little bit um 
and and it's just that's what it is. Well, and it's interesting because this episode, I actually think, as much as I love Wits, I think the Royaby side of this episode might be even stronger for me. Yeah. Because it's about him going back to this town he used to live in and trying to, like, you get the sense that he is a playboy who is also in search of actual love. Yes. And, yeah. and there is this woman he wanted to go see who he thinks, like, he might have had a shot with longer term. And she's it's the woman who gave him the leopard um, yeah. Gundam. Yeah. And now she's dead. And there's no absolution there. He just kind of has to deal with that. And that's really interesting, and I, I like that. And and you know, Wits gets the very sweet moment later on where he proposes to the one of the women, Tonia, yeah, for Tonia, and they because that's kind of hinted at throughout the show, and he just straight up asks her to marry him, and that's very sweet. But I like Roya B kind of is always kind of like searching for someone, and um, like I can imagine he's the guy singing the end credits song. You know, he's yes. looking for that human connection. Right? Yeah, he just needs a human touch. Yeah, yeah, human touch. Yeah, inside he's full of light and laughter. Yeah. But yes, on the outside, he kind of sleeps around and is maybe a little bit of an asshole. Yes, exactly. No, Roy, they're both used very well. They're both great characters. And, yeah. and yes, Zoro and George DeSand together, it's a good team. Absolutely. All right, so then moving on, the next story arc, episodes 16 to 19. I call this one New Type Dolphins in the Sea of Lorelei. Um, which is, like, I mean, that's just what it is. It um, is. This is where you get um, something that, that will happen. With a little bit of frequency, you get a couple of these at this point from this point on in Gundam, where we get a beach episode. Yes. Um, you get it's like a very brief beach episode type moment where you get um, different characters in their bathing suits, and it's like uh, you know it's all the standard jokes of like will, will Tifa wear a bathing suit because she's this shy girl, and Garo's like oh Tifa in a bathing suit, and he blushes, and he's like oh that's kind of weird, and so on and so forth. It does this kind of jokes. But then that culminates in um, there being a group of orcs, which are sea vultures, basically, um, because the terminology in this uh, series is fucking great. Uh, And they are hunting down dolphins and doing something that, like, I feel like the show probably wisely doesn't dwell on this concept for very long because it is really fucking gruesome. Because what these the orcs are doing is they are hunting down dolphins, capturing them, killing them, but keep, well, not killing them. They're extracting their living brains and using dolphin sonar abilities, basically, and like the dolphin, the dolphin brain's ability to process complex sonar to navigate the deep ocean waters. And that is why you run into the baddest ass fucking dolphin in the world, the albino new type dolphin that more or less single handedly, I mean, the new type dolphin uses Gardot in everyone's mobile suits and like, like kind of uses them to defeat the orc. But this is really the new type dolphin defeats this group of evil vultures and then moves on with its life um and and you know lays to rest the tortured souls of its many comrades uh and that's like the first half of the arc and the second half of the arc deals with jameel's stuff but let's talk about new type dolphins for a while because it's very good but if you had just told me yeah that like hey hey jonathan there's gonna be new type dolphins in this show i don't what the fuck are you talking about new type dolphins and then you see it and and the scene specifically is at the end of that first episode Tifa is out on the beach and Garod, he's not really like spying on her, but he's just following. He sees her and he's, he's going to go talk to her, but then he realizes she's talking to these dolphins and she has this connection with them because she too is a new type. And it is. And she, yeah, she has more of a conversation with those dolphins and those like that five minute scene that she has had with any other character in the show up to yes. that point. Uh, and this is also the scene where we see someone accessing the microwave beam way away, which that pays off way later in the show. Yeah. Um, but it is a, indescribably beautiful little scene mm-hmm. where she is talking to the dolphins and the idea of these other creatures 
having new type intuition and the show very gracefully i think introducing an idea that could be silly but pointing it out as like well all being a new type you know really means is this expanded intuition and sense of emotional knowledge and things like that why wouldn't it of course a dolphin would have be able to have that and the way it points that and then yes in the next episode we have the most badass dolphin in the history of fiction and it's just awesome it is absolutely awesome wonderful and i love it and i'm so happy it's a part of this show because it really is it's one of those things about new types where it's the focus of what a new type is is just expanded intuition and emotional intelligence and these things that are absolutely not exclusive to humans and an animal could have and giving it to dolphins why not and that's really interesting and it's one of those ways that after war gundam x feels like it it honors all of the tomino new type stuff and it has the same general attitude towards new types but it expands upon it in ways tomino's fiction has not up to this point and maybe wouldn't given the the areas that show goes to mostly being in space around humans and things like that. Yeah, and I just really love any time a piece of fiction tries to remove the anthropological sort of focused lens that it uses because so much human-focused media is just about human-focused stuff, but we sometimes forget about the rest of the world around us and there's absolutely no reason why other animals wouldn't have the same mutation or whatever it is that causes new types to happen. It's great. We also have to talk about the villain of these two episodes, Doza Bale, because I took some photos. Because, Sean, yes. this dude is just off a Nickelodeon show. He looks 100% like he's on the Wild Thornberries or yeah, something. He, yeah, he definitely looks like an anime version of either Wild Thornberries or a Rocket Power character. Like, if, yes. he, was, if he had a surfboard, he would be a Rocket Power character. If he had, like, a safari hat on, he'd be just from the Wild Thornberries. I found it mildly distracting because of every time they'd cut to him I'd be like this doesn't look like anime this yeah. doesn't even look, this this looks so weird it's a good character design and it, it kind of makes sense for like this this villain of an orc of a of a sea vulture yes but uh it did I will admit it distracted me a little bit because I'm like holy shit that just that's a Nickelodeon character right there yeah he's a Nickelodeon character who is capturing extracting the living brains of dolphins torturing them for his own gain yes um and then he gets his comeuppance all right, so that's the, the first half of this arc, Sean, with our, our dolphin friends and, and the very gruesome thing that the dolphins luckily yeah. overcome, which is nice. Uh, then we have the second half, the, the Sea of Lorelei part of your title. Yes, so then you get basically them remixing um, the, the Lala Soon idea, right? That this world has its armor array. It also would have its Lala, um, which is a character named Lucille Liliant who was a... And she's kind of a mix of Lala and Matilda from Gundam. She's this older woman that Jamil had clear affections for that was a new type and that died uh, at some point. During, or everyone thinks she died during the war. Actually, her body survived in kind of the same situation with the dolphins. Um, they have kept her, her body alive in this way to use her new type powers or try to use her new type powers, but she's never you know going to actually be alive again. And so it is about Jamil kind of confronting this part of his past, um, them dealing with more new type stuff. This is where Tifa gets sort of like new type possessed by Lucille, which is a fun, weird idea. Um, and, and Tifa's okay with it. It's, it's yeah. an interesting thing is that she like acquiesces to it. And it's this very like she and Lucille, uh, what is her name? Lucille. Lucille. Lucille kind of are like kindred spirits and like just get each other. And she's like, yeah, sure. Use my body for a couple of minutes just to yeah. talk to people. It's actually, I think, a cool new type moment. Yeah, and it, yeah, it's just a fun story that again fills in more gaps of who Jamil was and what that yeah. experience was like, and gives you the the important context for the Earth Federation's whole perspective about exploiting new types, which is an important part, particularly when you get to the finale, that all the Earth Federation sees new types as 
which is similar to them in the original Gundam continuity, is as weapons, right? That it's like their heightened senses and um, ability to anticipate what's going to happen is a useful power to be used in war, and you don't really give a shit whether or not they consent to anything as people. You just want to use the new types you exist as, that exist as weapons and then try to make as many new types um, cybernetically as you possibly can to make, like, the ultimate soldiers. Yes. And I think that second episode, in particular, episode 19, is really beautiful with yeah. Jamil seeing her again and also having to let go, but in the same moment getting closure and Lucille getting, you know, her own kind of closure by getting to move on. And Garo also just stepping out of the way in this one. I yes. really love in episode 19. He steps out and he gives the Gundam X to Jamil. Uh, and he says, because and, and, Garo gets something that Jamil doesn't, which is that you need to do this. Mm-hmm. It's not even that it's a particularly super difficult mission I think they're doing. They're not fighting the Frost Brothers. They're fighting some orcs. Yeah. I, I think either one of them could do it pretty easily. But the point is... You know, if you don't do this, you're going to regret it. And letting and Garrod stepping aside and letting Jamil come back into the center of his own story is really interesting because mm-hmm. it doesn't feel like the story pushing Garrod aside for an episode like artificially. It's Garrod having a character moment of realizing something outside of himself enough to step aside himself, and that's very very smart character writing that is clear throughout this whole show. Yeah, that then also gets to set up. Um, Jamil sort of fully recovering from his cockpit phobia yes. um, which then is good timing because we're going to meet the double X Gundam pretty soon so that means that Jamil gets to, to pilot the good old GX again and I feel like Jamil is even without his new type powers clearly a much better pilot than Gato because he has a worse mobile suit and usually does more damage yes and and I like the idea of the captain becoming part of the Gundam team yeah which is really cool yeah that like you know that shit gets serious when Jamil has to go deploy also which is a good dynamic for the second half of the show absolutely although we should say we are right here Sean we're at the the halfway point of the show as it exists it does not while you're watching feel like the halfway point the next arc very clearly is set up as the halfway point of the show Uh but of course that's not what wound up happening yes (laughs) So you, we have um, what I think is the second uh, standalone episode, which is episode 20, which I call Tonya and Anil's Shopping Spree. Because um, this episode is mostly about Tonya. Um, it's, it's, they, I love this one. Yes, Tonya and Anil. Um, so we haven't seen Anil in a while. She is, um, she is in this like port city that seems to be a pretty nice place. Um, she's been proposed to by the Cameron Bloom of Afro Gundam X, a man named Miles Goodman, because Miles Goodman is... If you took Cameron Bloom into like a name translator for Afro Gundam X, Miles Goodman is just what comes out. For people who don't remember, Cameron Bloom was uh, Mirai's fiance from the original. I story. love that Anil becomes the Mirai of this show, even though they are nothing alike. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so you kind of pick up with her again. She has this uh, chance to live this other life, um, but Anil kind of obviously she she needs this life of adventure. She needs closure for all the things, experiences she's had. Meanwhile, Tonya Malme, who is one of the main sort of bridge crew members, who is notably voiced by Kozuno Mitsuishi, which is probably best known for Sailor Moon, or Mitsuru from, or no, not Mitsuru, Misako from uh, Neon Genesis Evangelion. She will also play an even more major role in a future Gundam show, so look forward to that, because Kozuno Mitsuishi is an incredible voice actress, and she does a great job in this show. Um, yeah, and so it's just a fun, like, Tonya goes to shore, she wants to go shopping, just kind of hang out, Garrod and Tifa get to have a couple of nice, little, like, kind of cutesy kid romance moments, but then it's really about Tonya and Neil striking up this friendship, um, that 
is one of those elements that feels like it would have been better developed in the second half of the show if it had those 10 extra episodes. But even without having all of that, the little pieces you get of their relationship together, I really like. There's something just really nice about having two older female characters in a Gundam show be able to talk to each other and have be friends and have it not even really be about managing a ship or mobile suits or any of that kind of stuff. They're just kind of hanging out. Oh, I love it. And, and I think, I agree. I wish they would have been able to do more with it later on. But in this episode, it's perfect. Yes. I love that that Tonia wants this nice dress. She doesn't even really need it, but she's just like, you know, fuck it. I'm on this goddamn ship every day. I want to splurge on myself. Yeah. Very understandable. And Neil has wound up buying it, but Neil doesn't even really like clothes like that. Yeah. So she's like, here, Tonia, you have it. And like, as you say, this friendship that's not even about the ship to the point that the twist of the episode is at the end and Neil finding out she's on the Frieden. And I love that they don't immediately do something like Neil that is like, I'm going to go destroy the Frieden. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's she a, buys a mobile armor and the end of the episode is like her zooming the mobile armor up to the the bridge crew of the Frieden and then flying away. But the next episode is not about them fighting her. Yes. So I love that this this very human connection she makes with Tonia immediately affects her. Yeah. It, it's She's not a static character. It is this. And she's also, we realize, very, very human because just... Having a friend is nice. Yeah. And and I love when characters in a in an ongoing show like this can just have a friend and be like, oh, you know what? This is nice. This just changed me a little bit. And I agree. I think in, in a different version of, of, of this show where we weren't yet at the halfway point, that would have been probably a pretty major character dynamic in the final half of the show. Um, we still get moments of it. Yes. Yeah. But it's too bad we don't get more. Yeah, there's also in this episode a really well edited sequence where, where Tony and Neil are in the bar talking to each other um, and Godot and Tifa are outside and they're like, oh, we need to go get some food. Let's stop over there. And it's this like the tension building as they move forward. Tifa clearly senses, but Tifa's too shy to actually say anything and like stop this from happening. And then at the last second, Godot realizes, oh, they, they're like booked today. He sees the sign on the outside. Let's go somewhere else. And you think like, oh, okay, that's good. And then not Cameron Bloom shows back up and mentions the Frieden thing. Uh, and that's what actually causes the ball to be dropped. It's just a very well-edited, well-timed sequence there um, that it, I really liked. It's very good. I also have to say uh, Kotono uh, Mitsushi, is, um, she is Boa Hancock in One Piece. I didn't realize. Yeah. I have not seen that far into One Piece. I've, I've read it. That is a very good voice for Boa, but that is oh a yeah okay. I've, you said you haven't seen that far, but you've read it. Okay, yes, because yes. I thought this was going to be another. You hadn't hit, hit the time skip moment where I was like, wait a minute, you didn't see the Boa Hancock? I know who that character is. How can you? Okay, never mind. No, Boa, Han Boa Hancock, who is the the snake lady who falls in love yes. with Luffy. I now I want to see that even more because I do like this voice actress a lot as well. Yeah, she is also Sean in five episodes of Naruto. I, everybody is, yeah. She is Shisaru. I don't know who that is. Uh, that's m m probably a character from a filler arc. Well, yeah. throw a dart in a Naruto episode and it's filler. Yeah, that, that's like how Naruto, I think, gets like how every single actor on the planet, or every Japanese voice actor has had some role in Naruto is mostly through filler arcs where you just get, yeah. here's a character that will appear for two episodes. Who have we not cast yet in Naruto? Let's get them in. Yes. Um, All right. Anyways, moving on to episodes 21 to 25, a personal favorite uh, story arc of mine, which I called Not Ramba Rao's XX Adventure. Because uh, this is where you both get uh, Not Ramba Rao, which I should probably look up what that character's name actually is, because I only know him as he's Not Ramba Rao. Um, but yeah, this is where you both get him, his relationship with uh, Jamil and Godod, and then the double X Gundam gets introduced. And this is what would be the turning point of the middle of the show, episode 26, 
like so right after the story arc is when you get the second opening theme starts playing so if this had its full 49 episode run this would be the midpoint as a standard for when you get the big gundam um upgrade uh katok is the name of not uh romper Rao, voiced of course by masashi hirose who is the voice of romper Rao, who has been in a couple of other gundam things i think he was he was one of the doctors in gundam wing i'm pretty sure he's like the big dude um, but he pops up here and there in a lot of Gundam stuff because he's very cool. Oh, he's very cool, and I do love this character. There's an episode called "Like My Late Wife Always Said." That's the beginning of the Star Twenty One, and that is like his catchphrase. He's always mentioning his late wife. Yeah, he's got this very like, not to say he's got this very Columbo vibe. And Columbo's wife isn't dead, but Columbo's always talking about oh, my wife said this, my wife said that. He's and he's got this very like bedraggled feel yes. to it, and it's a very good like. Like, he's like a washed-up Ramba Rao, basically. Which is what, after we're going to Mexico's Ramba Rao would be. Yes. It's like, presumably his... When, well, we know his wife died in the during the war. Like, and his killed. kid, I think. Yeah. He, yeah. Yeah. So, like, sometime probably, like, at that colony drop moment. Um, and so, it is a Ramba Rao that, what if Hamon had died, and he had had a kid with Hamon, and they both had died, and he's just drifting around... As a mercenary soldier, just getting what work he can. He well, give a shit. We know she died in the colony drop because his whole story is that he is mad at Jamil and he betrays. He he kind of seems like he's going to work with the Freedom and then he betrays them because he he doesn't trust new types and he says that's because he believes that the shot that Jamil fired in the final days of the war is what killed his wife. But we learn at the very end that that's kind of a lie he told himself because we find out that like Zeon did we i don't know if they ever say this in the show but we know in the novelization zeon gassed those colonies yeah they killed all the people on the colonies before they used them to drop yeah yeah and and we know we find out that the sra the space revolutionary army did that as well and he like didn't want to admit that to himself and i think this is a great character and i agree this is one of my favorite stretches of the show this this there's the one after this i think drags but i think this stretch here with not Ramba Rao, because I agree, you just said his name and I don't remember it. Katok. Katok. Um, he's a great character. His relationship with everyone here, the kind of climactic episode where they're, the, the whole Freedom crew is on the boat and they're chasing it and he's helping Godot get to the double X and then he, he throws his body in front of the bullets for the crew. Oh man, he's a great character and this is a stupendous set of episodes. Maybe outside of those early ones we talked about my favorite. Yeah, because this is also where a lot of small threads around like the Frost Brothers and the like middleman they had been working for who had who made the Gundam double X and has been like driving a lot of the new type stuff for the underground Earth Federation people. All that comes to a head here. That character gets killed off. Um, it has this like G Gundam-esque mid-show conclusive feel to yes. it. Um, that it's, is pretty it's, powerful. Yeah, it very much feels like the climax to part one of After War Gundam X, which when I saw it, I was, and then I got kind of sad because I'm like, they don't have another 25, they have another yeah. 15. And mm-hmm. you can just feel this was planned to be the middle intermission, and then we move on with probably a set of equally length episodes, but we don't get that. Yeah. What we do get here in this episode, though, or this story arc, is the relationship between Godot and uh, Katok is so effective at really kind of putting a fine point on you know our our classic best favorite Gundam theme which is like the struggle between generations and and the children kind of growing up in this world and realizing the mistakes of the people that came before them and trying to find out what to do with that and you have that great scene where they've all been captured this is the longest stretch by far that you could keep Garo locked up 
Um, and 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 Katak just beats the shit out of Garrod and almost strangles him, like lifting him up off the ground. And God is just shit talking him the entire time, saying it's like all this is your fault, old man. Like you, like all these problems are problems that you made. These fucking mobile suits, these Gundams, this new type bullshit, this war. This is all shit that you did, and that I have to live with. That like him and Tifa have grown up in this shit world that you made. Um, and I love that's a really great moment for Garrod where he just doesn't back down like he keeps on getting kicked keeps on getting strangled and he, he doesn't ever back down from this point and that's that turning point for Katak where he realizes that like he has lost sight of what's important and then changes over and, and helps Garrod out it's just like a really great like feel good moment when Katak like fully decides to go to the other team absolutely and is this the arc or is it the next one where Garrod blows up the island instead of attacking the fleet that's at the end of this arc um, yes because because so the last words that katak leaves for Godot is don't make the same mistakes we made yes um and that's what flashes in god's mind um because this this is also within what sets off Godot for his arc for what would have been the second half that is contracted which is Godot thinking about and realizing he's thinking about that statement don't make the mistakes that we made and then he's like what does that mean? And he starts paying attention to like the Earth government because this is also, I think at the end of episode 25, I want to say is when the Earth government, the, the montage happens of, yes, it is because this is one of the best moments in the whole show. The end of episode 25, Cadhawk is killed. Um, Godot is left with that statement. He shoots the island instead of blowing up the whole fleet with the satellite cannon. So he decides not to commit this act of mass murder. And then you have this montage intercut of Bloodman and all the Earth Federation people we've occasionally cut to who are officials from the old Earth Federation that survived the colony drop, have been manipulating things underneath the surface, and have been slowly taking over pockets of the Earth's surface to create a new Earth Federation government. And you've been cutting to that more frequently as we've gotten to this point. And then it's them officially announcing the establishment of the new Earth Federation government and that whole process of Bloodman and all of them announcing that is intercut with Katok's funeral at sunset on the deck of the Frieden. It was and it a great is, moment. Yeah, yes. one of the best like edited, put together sequences of that sense of real dread at the idea of, and this is another thing that just plays off so much from your feelings from old Gundam, that like the fucking cockroaches that are the Earth Federation government, that you just can't fucking get rid of them. And it's this feeling that even if Shar had succeeded in Shar's counterattack at dropping Axis on Earth, the Earth Federation government still would have had, found some way to crawl up from the ashes and do the same bullshit they've done every single time. And it's that just like really sinking feeling of this world has paid the ultimate price. And even having paid that price, it didn't accomplish the ideological objective that was set out in the beginning, which was to eradicate this old system that is coming back again. Absolutely. It's it's kind of like, you know, we sometimes connect Gundam to U.S. politics. Yes. And it's like, I saw this tweet a couple months ago, and it's someone pointing out that the exact same congressional leadership that presided over the previous economic collapse is still 100% in power for the uh -huh. current economic collapse. Now, different permutations of which party has power in those sorts of things, but like, and those same people also presided over two wars. So it's like, it's that same kind of feeling of like this deja vu of how many times can you fuck up and still have all the same people in charge for the next fuck up yeah yeah but I really did want to zero in on that moment where, where Garo blows up the 
island instead of the fleet and he's thinking about that like don't make that mistake because it is it's also talking to old Gundam of like Amuro Amuro never has the moment where he is able to peacefully diffuse a situation yeah um and it's it's not necessarily that Amuro is a bad guy or anything but like that's the world like that he lives in is is he is blowing everything up yeah and Jamil by being the Amuro surrogate would have been the guy who who he would not have fired at the island he would have fired at the fleet yeah and and Garod not the best pilot in the world but he's the guy who can see in that moment no there's another path I'm gonna blow up this island the fleet will go away and this is the beginning of trying to forge a new reality and that's a really important moment and again feels like this is the the, the halfway point yeah, of that event turning point yeah one one note here's one um misstep a rare misstep i think that they had in titling episodes is episode 24 is called double x activate which is like you get why they call it that because it's the episode where a guard gets into the double x um and launches it and says double x activate um but earlier in that episode before they are in they get into the double x there's a moment where Katok says this line that is so good that absolutely should have been the title of the episode where he says, will you be able to put your life in my hands? Um, and the way that, that, that the actor says that line is the coolest thing. Like, how did they not use that line read as the next on preview? Because it's so fucking good. Um, and, and usually they pick really good lines. Um, but I feel like that's a rare one where they just let the... Well, we had, it's a double X episode. We have to use a double X line. They let that blind them from the, the dialogue they really should have picked. I agree. Because pretty much every Gundam show has the insert name of new Gundam here, activate episode title. Yes. So I guess they felt like they had to do it. But I agree. That would have been a better episode title. Okay. So, Sean, what's our next arc? All right. So moving on to episodes 26 to 29. I call this arc The Gundam Boy and the Prince. Garud learns about politics. I like that. Yeah. The so, Gundam Boy and the Prince. Yeah. So this is exactly what that title is. So Godod, after the events of episodes uh, 21 to 25, he is now growing like distant from Tifa, um, which is a recurring thing over the course of these episodes. And they come, the, the Frieden comes upon across this country that is having a conflict both with the new Earth Federation government, but then also over the course of the story arc, old conflicts from other countries around them start rising up again they specifically call it like an ethnic conflict that there were in the past ethnic cleansing wars that happened some sort of genocide happened um and that with the sort of interference of the earth federation government those like old animosities are coming back to the surface again and the freedom gets wrapped up into the middle of it because they are there um they know that the like that country knows that the Frieden has this reputa reputation. They have these powerful Gundams. They have the double X now. Um, and so they want to use that power. But then a lot of it is about what is the right thing to do? What should they be focusing on? What are they trying to accomplish? Because this is where they're no longer just wandering around trying to find new types, doing whatever they want to do. Now they're actually blocked into the larger political machinations of this country they've, they've arrived in. Yes. And I like a lot of stuff about this arc. There are moments I think are great. I love the entire thrust of it thematically and character-wise yeah. as you were just laying out. I think it it's not any longer than any of the other arcs. I did find that it dragged a bit. I don't yeah. think it is dramatically the most interesting stretch of the show. But I still, I mean, I like the whole show, so I yeah. like this as well. But I do think this one's a little rougher around the edges, but it does have some great moments. There's, I made a tweet about this while watching it because... Um, this is a part where you have the Earth Federation coming in and taking the countries around this land and yeah. just 
removing its national borders. And I was saying, you know, this is something Gundam tends to understand very well. It's how I know After War Gundam X gets its own politics, which is that unilaterally deciding to remove nation-state borders would be the most disastrously, like, fascistic, horrible thing you could do. And that is something Gundam Wing so powerfully, naively did not understand that that what... um, I don't even remember the names of characters in Gundam Wing. Who's the girl in Rolina? Yeah, Rolina. So it's a very forgettable show. Divina. Yeah, Rolina. Um, when she just unilaterally declares that the Earth is now one nation and uh-huh. there are no more national borders, Rolina almost certainly led to millions of deaths doing that. Yeah, there, there's like, I wonder if there's specific shade being thrown there by After Gundam X because there is a moment um, after uh, basically the United Earth government takes over this middle country that was yes. between these two other countries. That's the moment yeah. I'm thinking and of. And they show a map and they specifically say, well, because these borders no longer exist, that means that these old ethnic um, like conflicts that had been at rest for a long time, we're afraid that they're going to start up again. And like showing the map and showing the border going away and saying, like, this is a bad thing that's going to cause people to die. This yes. is like Gundam Wing, hey. Um, it's, yeah, yeah, like I really wonder... In the ranks of like most monstrous things Gundam characters do, Relina erasing all national borders has to be near the top in terms of if they made the Gundam Wing sequel where war just goes into an unparalleled or where Earth just goes into an unparalleled period of war because of yeah. that, Relina and Relina's like sitting in the back watching her like, oh, I fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. But no, this show gets it and it's it's very because it's an interesting concept. Because it's like I'm not saying like it's it's pro building a wall kind of borders but it is cognizant of the fact that there are nation states and it is a power move to take a nation state and and it's imperialism it's to take it and make it part of your nation state is a bad thing yes yeah and yeah yeah. and there's i agree that i think some of like the pacing and back and forth in these episodes is a little weak um but there is that it, it is a really Good, like good conceptual like move here, and it plays a really important part in the scope of the show. That that Godot has a lot of growth here of him, sort of again like getting involved in these larger ideas. Him like thinking about countries being a thing. Like I, that's I don't think that's a concept that Godot has ever really thought about before. Because why would he? The world he's lived in, he's not he's not going down to the polls like on Tuesday and voting. Right, that's right. just not a thing. Um, so. It is also, though, I will say, this is an area where the show has pretty firmly gone to a point where I'm confused by the world building. I'm confused by how many societies there are and how relatively normal they seem. Like, these should feel like much more recent societal developments. Part of it is also, I understand why they called it After War 15, because of the 15 years after reading Venom. It makes no sense that this is 15 years after the apocalypse. Like, for one, if for no other reason, Jamil Neat is not 30 years old. He's a hard fucking 30. I I think, I believe okay. it. Like, keep in mind, you know, William Hartnell was the same age as Peter Capaldi when he played the Doctor in Doctor Who. Okay. There's a, there, there's, there's 30, and there's 30. There's, there's, I, there's the great moment um, early in the show. I think it's in the, for that first story arc um, where the Doctor, uh, that we'll have to talk about that character, not Doctor Who Doctor, the Doctor on the ship, yes. um, says to Jamil, like, they're talking about Godot, and he says... Um, you know, like, what were you doing when you were 16? And Jamil looks at him and says, like, fighting desperately for my life. And he's like, oh, right, yeah. Well, for most people when they're 16, and it's this moment where you realize, like, right, 
Jamil's been he's been he was the Gundam boy when he was a boy like he he yeah. was 16 when he was fighting in this war like he you know he earned that fucking scar over his eye like he has lived a hard hard fucking life um he like came into adulthood on this destroyed apocalyptic earth so okay i can i, I can buy, i can buy that argument it's more generally that the state the world is in feels like it would take longer than 15 years Sure, yeah. I can yeah. buy that. There, there are pieces of that. And this arc gets into a little bit of that. It also has... I really do like the prince character. And I like the climax of this being the prince is running away with the Freedon. And then he decides to kind of own up to what has happened. And go back and kind of try to face the political consequences and be there for his people. And then he has that advisor who's there throughout these episodes who decides to basically offer himself up to the guillotine to, to save the prince and let him be the leader. And... Yeah, that that core of it, of, of politics and realizing there's so much more to it than the individual and what the individual's role is in the nation and in politics is very well done. Yeah, and then Goddard having to sort of learn to, like, he kind of overcorrects in a way and he, he kind of loses sight of the stuff immediately around him because yeah. he's so focused on the bigger picture stuff. Um, and then, yeah, then they, it concludes with episode 29 called Look At Me, which is Tifa saying, like, hey, look at me. Like, like... Yeah. It's nice that you're thinking about all these other things, but you have to ground yourself in the stuff that matters most and, like, the people around you. And it's, yeah, it is a messier story arc, but it's still a very good one. Moving on to episodes 30 to 32, this is The Kidnapping of Tifa Deal, colon, Garrod Goes to Space. (laughs) Um, Which is one of my favorite titles I came up with. It's very good. And this arc is where we start to hit the accelerator. Yes. But there is a lot of very good stuff here. So this is episode 32 specifically is the, that's the G Falcon is the title of the episode. Um, and so that is where, that is the episode effectively where the cuts to start becoming apparent, um, which is also then apparent, like it is much harder. It was much harder for me to kind of determine where does this story arc end and begin? Because like stuff just starts accelerating really quickly. Um, but yeah, 30 to 32, you get a lot of like really great. These are some of my favorite episodes. Yeah, because this is where they, they go to revisit the new type labs, um, but the Frost Brothers are kind of a step ahead of them and have, this is where the Frost Brothers, this is their best moment, where they have the stuff they have constructed and the people they have been manipulating the entire time all comes to a head here where they pit the new type labs, the Earth Federation government and the Freedom kind of all against each other in this one conflict so that the Frost Brothers can try to eliminate all the enemies that they've had along the way and they go in and just blow up the fucking U-Type lab saying like what you people have designated that we are this thing and this thing is not a new type therefore we do not have value and fuck you we are the only people that matter and we're just gonna blow your whole situation up because fuck you lady I agree also we didn't talk about it but in the previous arc isn't that where those Frost Brothers are picking potential new types and then yes. sending them out each episode that is one of the dumb yes that, I think that is one of the things that hurts the pacing of the previous story arc you're right yeah. that they it, it has this very like original Mobile Suit Gundam but a very clumsy version of it because this show's not built this way of like fight a week or like yes. different new Mobile Suit a week kind of episodes where it's like those characters are also just they're very weak characters they're, they rely on really generic anime archetypes to kind of function yeah and because this show doesn't really have original mobile suit designs the mobile suits aren't that interesting um it's just it doesn't have any of the pieces that would make that work but i agree with you that this episode 30 where they they there's the big conflict at the new type labs that's great and of course tifa gets kidnapped the the title of that episode i felt that i'd never see you again is because she's had a dream that she and garot are going to be separated and it happens at the end of this one. And Garod uh, Watagi has some fucking great acting there. 
uh, yeah, yelling he, after Jifa. Mm-hmm. Then, then you, at the beginning of the, of, uh, the next episode, it's like out of you have a great judo punching the inside of the cockpit moment of like the Gundam yeah. pilot in total despair of just got a sitting on the ground with the double X behind him and him just staring up into the sky because it's one of the things about after Gundam X we haven't talked about, but it seems kind of obvious is one thing that sets it apart from other Gundam shows is it is by far, especially because the second half of the show is cut down so much. The most earth earth centered Gundam show there is that's not like a, not G Gundam. Gundam. Yeah, that's not G Gundam or Build Fighters that is almost entirely on Earth but is its own thing. But in terms of like a classical style Gundam show, most of them, it's maybe like 50-50 tops, if not more in space. Um, you have Iron-Blooded Orphans where it's like maybe 50 on Mars, 50 on Earth. Slightly different thing. But here, it's just like you've been on Earth the whole time. The idea of being in space is utterly alien to you. Like it's just never come up. It's never been the thing that seems feasible. Nobody's gone to space. Nobody know, like the only thing we know is that there was the one dude in the snow town that was part of the space revolutionary army but was stranded on earth after that war ended not that he came down at some point so it's all access to space has just not been an active thing in the show um and so then that moment where tifa just is put into a rocket by people that you don't know who the fuck they are um and they just shoot this rocket into space and god sees that it's like well what the fuck like what do you do it's she's in space you can't like to Gato, that is like us if 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 someone stole you jonathan and put you in a rocket and shot you into space i'm like i guess the podcast's over because i'm not <laughs> getting to space that's just not feasible sorry everyone weekly suit gundam's fucking canceled because jonathan got shot into space There's nothing you can do about that right um and and there's just this great moment of this like Gundam, because space is such a casual thing in most Gundam shows, afterward Gundam X just get, makes that concept feel so heavy. Because like, the characters so distant. don't even know if there are still colonies, if yeah. people live up there. It's completely alien to them. Yeah. Um, and it's just a really great moment. This is like, fucking, yeah, dope, right? Space, that's a thing. That then also sets up um, that great revelation that the people that took Tifa are from the space colonies and that the space revolutionary army and the colonies are alive and well and they are still up there um, which is what the rest of the show is about yes absolutely at episode 31 Tobe Garoro yeah. is one of the best single episodes I think in the whole series where the Frieden crew just completely agree their goal needs to be to get Garod into space to go after Tifa and they all come together and it feels like such a great like culmination point for this cast yeah. of them all coming together, sacrificing the ship and everything just to get Garrod off of Earth into space. And um, and the moment when Jamil yells it, the, the line, and, you know, fly Garrod, uh, and, and feeling like how far those characters have come and how much faith he's putting in this kid. Yeah. It's so good. It's, it's really one of my favorite maybe Gundam episodes. It's great. Yeah, and then it sets up what feels like then the clear dichotomy that, that the second half of the show would be focused on Gadot in space, doing space stuff, trying to get Tifa. Um, and, you know, in episode 32, he gets his ass kicked um, by a character that I th- is one of those characters that's just done dirty by the fact that they got those two episodes cut, who's Lance Rowe, who's this world's char. He's the rival pilot um, to Jamil. Uh, he is basically introduced uh, like with like oh shit there's a Gundam 
uh, Lancer, you need to go get it. Um, actually, earlier than that, you have Jamil says, like, I wonder if that man is still up there. Yeah. Um, and you're like, ah, oh, they're setting it up. Um, but then when Lancero, he, like, sees the Gundam, he says, like, basically, like, oh, let's see what the capabilities of this so-called Federation uh, Gundam is. And that's just Char's line when he first fights the Gundam in Episode 2 of Original Mobile Suit Gundam. Yes. So it's just, they, they immediately, like, this man is a Char. He, even though he doesn't have the mask, he's not a Char clone in that way, but he's the Char of this world. Although I will say, I think they do something, like like I said, where, where Jamil kind of is an amalgamation of certain characters, yeah. including Char. I think he also is, too. Because I think Lancero also has an element of Amuro in Zeta Gundam, which is continuing to be part of an organization he's lost faith in. Yeah, that and, he's just sort of stuck when yeah. you meet him again. Yeah, And he goes through that same evolution Amuro goes through in Zeta of kind of coming to an awakening and learning to fight for something else again, you know? And and they don't get to... I, I agree, this character is done dirty. It's very sad we don't get more with him. But what we do have there is is great. And is this good? Same as where Jamil has elements of both characters to him. I think Lancero does as well. Yeah. And they make a... I wish we had a, a solid episode with the two of them. Because we get moments which are great. Yes. But we don't get the solid, like, they meet and have an adventure episode. Yeah, I feel like because the... the those uh, 10 episodes got cut you 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 lean a lot more on the Lance Rosa stand-in for a shark type character yes. to build affection for him rather than the show being able to spend time on it but that is still enough in his name being fucking Lance Rose Dole um, right. it's like yeah okay I'm I love this dude yes and yeah so that's sort of this arc is because this arc then ends with that's the G Falcon of the G Falcon coming in it's an old uh, uh, Renpo, this Federation. Sorry, it's yeah. just in my mind. It's always Renpo. Uh-huh. Um, Federation um, sort of pilot craft, and it comes in and saves Godot, and then that sets up the next arc, which is only like three episodes long, or maybe two, but clearly was supposed to be a huge chunk of the show. Yes, this is the one that was like hard to be like. I guess this is just a story arc, which is episodes thirty-three to thirty-six, which I call "Adventures in Space." Godot and Tifa reunited at last. Um, yeah, so this is where you get a lot of stuff that feels like it is the Gundam F-91 version of these events, basically. Where you get introduced to a character named Polisys, who is cool, but also has no episodes actually dedicated to her character development. She's the pilot of the G-Falcon. Which I will is- say I, I am impressed by how much I like Paula and how strongly she sort of reads yeah. as a character. Even though they never really get to give her her due, she clearly was meant to be a big part of the cast in the second half. Yeah, that she's clearly set up as like Goddard's buddy um, and she's the pilot of the G-Falcon which docks with the, the Gundam. Which is nice that apparently like all Gundams are built with like standard connectors. Like they've all got USB-C or some shit. <laughs> it doesn't... Because again, the Gundam double double X. It was made 15 years after the original Gundam X that would have docked with this thing. And it still fucking connects. So that's some um, the good standards um, in, in mobile suit design. We appreciate... Uh, I like seeing it. Um, but yeah, so she... This is a world where Apple never got rid of the headphone jack. Exactly, yeah. It's like, you just gotta stick with what works, man. Um, so she is part of an anti-space revolutionary army group. Basically the AU, like, a, a SUG of um, Afro Gundam X, anti- anti-space union group. Um, called Satelicon, and this is where you just know that there would have been like five episodes of Godot with Satelicon and Paula fighting space people while Lancero was with Tifa and building it up that way. Like, there's such a clear setup for a big story arc here. It is, and and I mean, it basically happens off screen because Godot makes the agreement that he will help Satelicon, 
and that that if they will help him restore his Gundam and go save Tifa, and he seems kind of on board, like these guys seem cool, and there would have clearly been a big arc where they would have helped each other, and then a big tragic episode where Satalicon gets destroyed, and then he and Paula go off. But that all happens in one episode. Yeah, so so you have a cool dude with a beard who's like the leader of Satalicon that I don't have no idea what his name is. I don't know if he, he must be listed somewhere in the credits, but I can't, don't see him here. Um, and he, yeah, he's like, seems really cool. I would have loved to have gotten to know cool beard man who who seems like a cool dude because of the way he treats Paula. Um, and he gets killed in the big attack. Um, but yeah, it's just, everything is so compressed and it, it sucks it's, so much because you can see really clearly where those episodes were like more stories would if, fit in establishing this stuff if we had gotten the whole satalicon arc the episode where it gets just completely decimated i think would have been probably one of the highlights of this whole show exactly yeah and it's still good like it's none of this stuff becomes bad because of this to me but like it's it's just so rushed you have to and it, it kind of helps that this show is building off other gundam shows because as a gundam fan in your head you can do the work for yourself and be like all right this is what would have happened but it is it is like an F91 very much just let's just burn through this. Yeah. So meanwhile, while all that stuff's happening with Godot, we have Lance Rowe um, and the the dude who kidnapped Tifa, but was like in a well-meaning way. Yes. So, so you because this is where you get this whole other half where you get to see what the space situation is like, and the colonies have been seemingly thriving, with the exception of you have Asug hanging around doing whatever they're doing, um, and kind of poking holes in what the space people are trying to do but they're living in their colonies according to new typism or new type shugi so it's like it's literally a religion to these people um and the chairman of the space army is one is a guy who seems it's clearly using that sort of new typism as a way to consolidate his power base but you never really at least i never believe that he actually like believes in any of that shit no because he's presented with tifa who is uncontrovertibly a new type if new types exist tifa is fucking a new type because she's accurately predicted the future to a scary degree a dozen plus times over the course of the show she does it in an episode with chairman right there where she predicts that there's going to be an attack on his life um but the chairman basically says that we we have said the whole time the entire new type thing buddy is that space noids are going to become new types and an evolved version of humanity because being in space means that we are no longer shackled to the the gravity of Earth and our perceptions and our mind expands to fill the new possibilities that living in space or living in space gives us. And if we then believe in that, and that's how we've motivated everybody to live up in fucking tubes in space, and we turn around and say, but here's this girl who's only ever lived on Earth, and she is by far the most powerful one of these new types we've ever fucking seen. That throws their whole situation um, upside down. It's like a racial supremacy. What it is yes. to him is he's saying, our group of people, our race, our tribe is the best, and I'm not going to look at any evidence that counteracts that because I've got a fucking propaganda machine here. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and it's, it's an interesting dynamic to see that and to see then Lance Rowe sort of like you said like Amaro and Zeta Gundam he doesn't believe clearly basically anything that the chairman of the space army is saying he's just going along with it because he just doesn't have anything else to do but as soon as this opportunity with Tifa Tifa presents, presents itself and then Tifa tells Lancero about Jamil and you have that great scene where he realizes that Jamil has been working towards something and he's still fighting and he's not fighting for the earth government which is what Lancero asks yes. and instead Jamil's fighting for himself and his own beliefs and Lancero's like 
Nah, shit. I guess I fuck. I, I guess I've lost this one um, because he has just been going along with something he doesn't believe in because it's convenient for him to do. Yes. So then we got episode thirty-four, another moon title. I can see the moon. Skigamieta. And uh, is this is are they they all kind of blend together here? Yes. Is this the one with the colony laser? or Is that the one after that? Um, I think that's after that. Okay. Yeah, I think that's. I will not let the light of hope go out. I think is the colony laser one. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. So basically, you have um, then classic Gundam shit. The colony laser. You have that a great sequence where to get Tifa back, Goddard threatens um, the space army with the satellite cannon on the double X um, and, and basically tricks them into giving him Tifa and then he just blows up the space colon- the, the space it's a, laser anyways. It's basically a really big but heroic version of what he does in selling the Gundam X yes. way early in the series. It's him being a con man but for, for good. Yeah, he gets Tifa back and then he just blows it up anyways which is just a great moment where you're like right, yeah. Goddard is like a person. He's not like uh, he's a he's a heroic character but he's not Superman. He's not Goody Two Shoes. He's like he's not also, just going to follow his word. He sees a giant fucking colony laser pointing at the Earth. He's going to take the thing out. Yes. Um, actually, I am right. I can see the moon is the one with the colony laser. Is it? Wow. Yes. So that is it's. This all happens super fast. So fast. Because yeah. I will not let the hype, light of hope go out is when they go back to Earth. Because this one ends, I think, with him heading back towards Earth, and then the Frost Brothers show up. Yeah. So. So basically, this is almost like a two-episode arc where these two episodes would have probably been five, six, seven episodes. Um, And then he's going... So he gets into space at at the end of episode 31. He is in space 32, 33, 34. And by the end of 34, he's trying to go back to Earth. That's how much they've compressed into these three episodes. Yeah, because it basically feels like maybe all ten of those episodes would have taken place in that gap. Yes. Um, Yeah, because then after all that stuff with the colony laser happens, they go back to Earth... Um, Tifa and Goddard get captured and they confront Bloodman. Um, that we haven't really talked about Bloodman much. Fix Bloodman. Fix Bloodman, who is the the basically the chairman of the New Earth Federation government. Um, and he's just the best, worst fucking dude. I mean, they just named him Bloodman. Uh, it's just you know, it's right on the label. He's a real motherfucker. Um, who's also just being manipulated by the Frost Brothers the whole time. Um, and this is where they start doing the shit about setting up a dome where Tifa in both the chairman's space and Bloodman's uh, mind senses this term dome on the moon and doesn't know what that means. Um, but it is it is where you get this pivot clearly towards the finale where you see Jamil and the rest of the crew of the Freedom have been captured. They're on a train being sent to go get executed. Goddard uh, and Tifa are locked up. Goddard and Tifa immediately escape. Uh, go get Paula out because she's been locked up and steal the double X and the G Falcon and fucking leave. Uh, and meanwhile, Karis comes back and saves the rest of the crew of the Freedom. So it's, yes. it's a lot of like setting up the pieces for the finale, getting all our characters back together when they really haven't oh. been away for that long, but it's nice to get them back together. Well, and that's the thing is that this is where you can feel where the show would have been different because it's very clearly the plan was in that space, you would have had a long period where probably to, to my feeling Jamil and everyone would have just been off the show for a yeah. while 
because you want to stick with Garrod as our POV character and he would have gone to space and he would have met Satalicon and he would have rescued Tifa and all these things and then they come back and there's this re- reunion yeah and it's like a- when in Zeta Gundam you have the, a lot of stuff with Amuro in like episode 10 to 15 or whatever yes. you leave for a while episode like 28 or whatever you're back on Earth and you see Amuro again yes exactly um, or yeah or like Quattro isn't there for stretches yeah. while Camille is off doing something but yes but instead episode 31 is when they when they break up and they get they meet each other again in episode thirty five or thirty six. So it is like two or three episodes where they're apart, and a lot of stuff has happened. Uh, and I think the the scenes are all still effective, but yeah. you can feel where they would be more effective if they had the time to do it all. Yeah, you're just you're getting like the bullet point version of the yes. TV show that's not getting all the nice like juicy kind of character moments in between. Yes, um, but it's still very good stuff. Um, and setting up the plate for. The finale and all the finale stuff, I think, is is fantastic. Um, with like maybe the Frost Brothers stuff is a little bit weird. Yes, but then you have that episode, um, the end of this arc that you've determined. Uh, the next war is the war we wanted, yes. where the Frost Brothers. This has one of my favorite scenes in the whole show, where the Frost Brothers are going. It's Blood Man they're manipulating, right? Yes, yeah. And they go and they they keep telling Blood Man, "You're such a great leader. You're yeah, the man. You you are the the new leader for the new era." Yes, and and they. And they basically get him to do what they want and start this next war. And and while they're talking to him and like leading him into their trap, it is intercut with this scene of a big bird, like a hawk or something, yeah. catching a little bird and and like tearing it apart. And it is 100% old Soviet-style montage stuff. Um, so if you look at like the films of Sergei Eisenstein, there's a couple of famous ones I could point to. Like there's the statues of the lions rising in Battleship Potemkin that does this. But I think the most obvious one is in the film Strike, where that that movie is about a, a worker strike that ends with the the old Russian like Sars killing all the strikers. And while the strikers are being mowed down, it cuts with a calf being slaughtered. And it's an actual video of... The, this is the 1920s. There's no animal rights. Yeah. They, uh-huh. just, they did kill the calf on camera. And they kill the cow. And it's cut back and forth. And so it's, it's, it's implying to the audience that these workers are like the calf being, being slaughtered, you know, for, for meat or something. Yeah. And so they do the same thing here where it's like, you know, to show that the Frost Brothers are the hawk getting this little bird in their hands and tearing it apart. It's even better than just that because in an earlier episode, the first time that Bloodman is introduced, they use the same framing device where they, when they cut to Bloodman, it is him at that villa like looking out at nature and he sees a similar scene. He sees a in, hawk I in forgot the about that. You've yeah. seen it twice though, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, so so he sees that and at first like the, the implication is that, it is, that Bloodman is the hawk but then once you get here, you yeah. realize, oh, the actual implication is that he is the prey. He's the bird that's the prey bird. And he thinks of him... Because he looks at that scene, he sees himself as the hawk, but he's actually the prey. Yes. Um, which is very good. And the Frost I, brothers know how to manipulate that. Exactly. Which is why I wish we got more of them, because that's a really interesting dynamic. Yes. Um, one other thing to note on that. I know I've been talking about a lot this episode, but I do have to say another show that does that a lot is Naruto. Naruto loves doing like intercutting with here's a shot of a snake eating like a mouse or whatever and then you cut to another character uh, they it does it all the fucking you're time. just trying to lay the groundwork for when we're done with Weekly Suit Gundam we've done all the shows we've done I guess Iron Blooded Orphans is the most recent one yeah. then we're gonna do Weekly Suit Naruto and you just make me watch all of it but well, we're going to do Weekly Suit No None Beauty before we do that. Uh, I bought, I have the Blu-ray of the movie that I haven't watched yet, and they're doing this third season soon. So we'll get around to... Eventually, I'm just going to make you watch a show that's just about 
cute girls in Japan hanging out in the woods and doing dumb shit. One episode at a time we do for, for a year. Three hour analysis of each 22 minute episode of Nonen Beauty. We'll, we'll get there. All right. Um, yeah. So then that, I guess that leads us to the finale. Episodes 37 to 39. This is, I labored long and hard on this title, Jonathan, so I hope you appreciate it. The real new types are the friends we made along the way. <laughs> The thing is, Sean, when we finally finish our weekly suit Gundam project, I think that's what your kiss-off one was going to be. <laughs> yeah. the, our, the series finale of this podcast was going to be, Jonathan, the real new types were the friends we made along the way. Yeah. And then we cut to black. But no, I think that's good because that is kind of the message of the show. It's, it's the moral of the story. Yes. Yeah. This is a really good finale. It's not to the level of like original Gundam where it feels like it was actively enhanced by getting shortened. There are still missing pieces, and the last episode has some clumsy edits, I think, because of that. But it is still a very good... It feels like they were able to, with whatever cuts they had to make, the the final two episodes are roughly what the final two would have been. They are able to get to the moon and talk to Dome and deliver the theme, and it feels like that core of the experience is not compromised. Kind of like F91 gets to have the ending where it is... Um, the two characters finding each other in space again and embracing and the song playing. I'm like, okay, that's always what you needed and you prioritize to get to that moment. This is the best you could have done. Yeah. It very much feels like that to me. Absolutely. So episode 37, Freedom Launch. Um, that's a fun one because it's basically you get... It reminds me a lot of that, like, the episode two of season eight of Game of Thrones or whatever it was, where it's just like, it's all the characters basically talking to each other and hanging out. On the before the war happens, and it's kind of intercut with the the Earth Federation fleet coming up and the Space Army fleet coming up, and then uh, like the the war about to happen because it's like it's about to not become after war Gundamex, it's just going to be war Gundamex this time because it's like they're yes. fucking doing the war again, and it's just this is where you get wits um, very sweetly proposing to Tonia that Emil sort of like stumbles upon, and then with Caesar's like, why did you have to show up? And he just runs away, embarrassed, uh, which is very good. And then there's a really cute moment with Tonia and Emil where where Emil's like, well, what are you going to say? And she's like, I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> it's very. And, I yeah. mean, we've just made flirty eyes at each other for the past fifteen episodes, but I didn't expect that would yeah. culminate in a fucking marriage proposal. But basically, they all believe they're on a suicide mission. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is where you get because um, you have Sarah, who is the actual Mirai of the show. Um, she and Roya B have had this weird tension, um, but she actually loves Jamil Neat because yeah. he's fucking Jamil Neat. Yeah. Um, and, Roya fine. But... Yeah, and Roya B has this like, I need an actual answer to this question of like, will anything happen between us? And it's like, dude, it's fucking Jamil Neat. No, nothing's gonna happen between you. Like, it's. Have that's you not... seen the theme song? Have you yeah. seen the shot of him with the fucking sleeves billowing in the wind? No. Yeah, Sarah doesn't say that, but that's what her eyes tell him, right? It's just like, Absolutely. this is going anywhere, buddy. And I should say, it's not just that they believe they're on a suicide mission. They believe they might be seeing the end of the human race. Yes. Because they all are fully aware that if another war happens, that's it. There's no more humanity. There's no coming back from this. There's only 100 million humans left. There's no... You, if there's another colony drop or something like that, there's no second chance. Yes. Yeah. Because this is also where, yeah, you get a, some nice reflection on um, people like thinking back to like, oh yeah, like in the first... Because I think it's maybe in this episode or maybe in a slightly earlier episode where Tonya says... Um, she didn't see the sun until she was seven yep. years old. It's great because those characters are just a little bit older than Garod and everyone, you know. Yeah. And so they were they remember when all that happened, and you yeah. see little flashes of them living in a gray world, and it's very powerful stuff. 
Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that's just a great little, like, calm before the storm type episode. Um, that then also has um, Godot and Tifa sitting on a hill looking at the lights. Um, and he puts his arm around her and they lean in to kiss and then it gives you like the shot from behind which is very good it's beautiful and that's yeah. one of those moments where it feels like even though a lot of stuff had to be cut short they didn't cut short or give a short shrift to Geralt and Tifa because that feels like however long the show was going to run that is the moment when they would finally kiss yeah and it would be and it just it all feels so perfect that that's that's why this show is great is that spine is so tight with those two absolutely. characters absolutely absolutely yeah. So then you get episodes 38 and 39, the last two episodes, which are um, I Am Dome, People Once Called Me a New Type, uh, which is a title that is a lot better in Japanese than it is in English. It sounds so awkward in English. And then the last episode, The Moon Will Always Be There, which I do love that the 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 line for the last episode is delivered by the narrator um, as the last line of the entire show yes exactly it's, so it's that's great. the title of the episode which is just very classy another piece that feels like even if the show had gotten the full 50 that would have been the last moment they, that feels like something they planned from episode one yes because of the motif of the moon but that's the moon has been there from the very beginning as this major motif and the final mission for the freedom is get to the moon and find dome yes and these two episodes are fucking great they're fucking amazing yeah so you have a huge ridiculous space battle and lance Rowe is there and the freedom everyone from the freedom is there and the frost brothers are there the space army is there the earth federation army is there um but really it is all just about getting to dome um because i don't know if there's really much to say about the battle because in after war gundam x like there's some decent action stuff here and there but generally it's not like in the way that some of the like Mobile Suit Gundam and Zeta Gundam could have in Double Zeta, like this is a or Victory Gundam especially, these are like great action scenes. They're serviceable here. Um, we well, haven't had really great Gundam action since Victory Gundam. The nineties are not a great period for it. Yeah, the, you have like the the only exception I feel like in one of the TV shows is the last fight in Gundam Wing is very good between yeah. the Wing Gundam Zero and, and Epion. And obviously Endless Waltz, but that's an OVA. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, because fuck nineties over on the OVA side, we're getting shit like. Uh, 8th MS team and it's yeah, like oh yeah you're God. getting some of the best action in the OVAs but in terms not of these shows TV, yeah. yeah you're yeah. not you're not getting all the best stuff Turn A Gundam's got some good stuff we yeah, can look we'll at there. but yeah so but the main stuff I think to talk about these episodes is them getting to Dome um, and Dome is the first new type um, and this is another kind of like and I feel like the dolphin thing kind of foreshadows this it's a very grim concept that they don't hang on that much um, that the first new type was the word that you just dissected um, by the Earth Federation, um, and he's on the moon, and that he his consciousness is still alive, and seems to in fact have been like maybe amplified in some ways by this experience that he is transcendent, he is like a disembodied entity um, that is communicated with Tifa and controls the G bits, which are the like basically the mobile dolls on the moon. It's basically like in Star Trek: The Motion Picture when they meet yeah. V'ger. Yes, is what it yeah. feels like. It feel or it feels like a benevolent version of Kirko meeting Wise Man from Bottoms, which hopefully we'll get to do that. That's an old Weekly Suit Gundam or Weekly Stuff podcast yes. um, the, where I talk about that shit. But we'll get to Bottoms at some point. But yeah, so but it's basically and also Dome is God, right? Like he's God. Yes. He is this all-knowing, all-seeing being who is talking to the characters. They are transported to some sort of like transcendental realm where like physical space no longer seems to exist um it, and dome it, summons we should say all of the major players so yes. dome lets in garrod and tifa because tifa is a kindred spirit yeah and because dome is keeping out the military forces and even the frost brothers know they can't get in there yeah and so dome is keeping all of them out 
Goddard and Tifa go in, and then Dome lets in like um, an assembly from the space fleet and an assembly from the Earth fleet. Yeah, Tifa basically says, let in everybody who needs to hear the truth. Yes. Yeah. And so they all come, and it makes for a really unique Gundam finale, where the end is all the major players not on a battlefield, but in a room together talking. Yes, this is where you get that great moment of Lantro looks over to his right, basically, and is like, are you Jameel Neat? And he's like, are you Lantro? And they shake hands and it's like you know it was would if this had been built up a little bit more it would have been even better but it's still, still great really, it's still fucking good it's still yes. a really good little moment between the two of them um Shar and Amaro never got to be that friendly <laughs> yeah you, you get a couple of tense conversations between them and Zeta Gundam um and then they start punching each other in the face again <laughs> yes yeah um but yeah so then Dome is here and Dome just lays out basically what new types are I mean he just and basically the conclusion of the show being that like New types maybe aren't a thing. Like new, it, it is the real new types are the friends we make I, along the way. I would argue. Like, sorry, go ahead. Like new type is in the eye of the beholder, right? That yeah. new type is a concept that you, is a abstract concept that you've created that you've created that maybe applies to some things, but there is no such thing as a new type. New type. I would say he's making a semiotic argument. He's yeah. saying like Tifa's powers are real. Yeah, Jamil, your powers real. You yeah. did see the future. That rad, rad dolphin definitely had some real powers. But what you're calling it, this is like a sign versus yeah. signifier semiotic argument. That is a different thing. Like you in space, you are calling new types and using them and creating this ideal for this purpose. And you on Earth, you are creating them out of this sense of fear and other and, and these kinds of things. And and I'm you know you're doing it for this reason and you're doing it for this reason. It's not a thing. It only has power because you've given it power. And it's really interesting. And it is the most kind of meta Gundam gets in talking about like, or in not Gundam, but after war Gundam at least, yeah. in, in talking about the idea of new types and this this entire thing. Because this definitely feels like something Tomino wouldn't do. Like yeah. in, if you read Tomino's fiction, and like like if you watch the shows and read, I think particularly the book that he wrote, the, the novelization of Wolves Gundam, it really is like almost a ph- philosophical thing what new types are. And it is this like vision of the future and all these things. And it's it's pretty concrete. But this show is kind of looking at it in the sense of, but it's evolved over time and it's become this thing. And I, I wonder if it's even like the word new type at this point in anime history has become like a major thing. Like oh, the no, major... there's, there is a huge ongoing otaku magazine called oh, New type. type Magazine that has been around for like a the decade. The New Type point. Anime Awards are some yeah. of the best, you know, the most prestigious anime awards. So like New Type has gotten this life beyond the show itself. And in the world of Gundam, it is always this flashpoint around which conflict happens. And I think the way this show deals with it, of having this godlike character bring the characters into a room and point out what they are semiotically doing with this idea of New Types is really fascinating. Yeah. And is not where I really expected the show to go. I don't know where I expected it to go. But this is this feels like a, a surprise and a challenge to the characters and the viewers, and it's really cool. Yeah, and I think in particular, um, what it does is I think it challenges a lot of stuff from Char's counterattack because that's what After Gundam X feels most in conversation with is that original cycle of Mobile Suit Gundam up to Char's counterattack, and specifically having an Amuro and Char um, sort of like avatar in the room there and the whole setup of the world being effectively a what would have happened after Char's counterattack if Char had succeeded in the colony drop or for him the the Axis drop Um, and it is this show sort of criticizing both Amuro and Char's limited perspectives and what they had been trying to do in Char's counterattack 
Because it one, it shows this is not through Lancer, this is just through generally through the show. It shows that Char's grandstanding revolutionary action is one that does not because it's so big and so non-specific. It's just this mass action of violence. It doesn't actually have the capacity to enact the ideological shift that Char vocally advocates for, but never actually takes actions to implement. This is something we talked about in our Char's Counterattack podcast, that he's not interested at all in actually setting up systems to create a better future that allows for the new type reality that he wants or whatever it is that he's seeking for. He's, what he's doing in Charles Counterattack is he's trying to create a blank slate, put his, like, his enemies and himself off the table, because I think he thinks that he shouldn't belong in this new world, um, but not actually make any actions to create that better world that he foresees that doesn't have the Earth Federation in it. Because we can all agree the Earth Federation fucking sucks and should be dismantled. But destroying the Earth with a massive act of violence, all that does is hurt the most vulnerable pe- vulnerable people. And the fucking cockroaches who are the rich and powerful that live at the top of that food chain will find a way to survive because they have the power to do so. That's what happens after we're going to Mex. But here, it is also critical of Amro's perspective which is embodied by Jamil, which is this let's wait and see what happens kind of approach that Amaro has this faith in the wisdom of humanity. I, I translated this recently for that video I put on YouTube that he says specifically, like, I'm not in such a rush like you, Char. I haven't despaired in humanity or I haven't lost hope for humanity yet. Um, but, but Char criticizes Amaro quite rightly that Amaro also doesn't actually take any actions to make that future reality. Because Amro is a traumatized Gundam boy who, you know, was traumatized at the age of 16 and he's never kind of fully grown up and he never sees the future as like a thing to be created. It's just this thing they had a vision of and Amro always lives in the present. And so he's not actually trying to also create this future that he wants. And so it's both Shar and Amro on opposite sides of this conflict, both making kind of the wrong choice, hoping for a better future, not doing anything to create it. And what Dome tells us is that these visions you have, this future, this faith that you have in new types, the fear you have of new types, all these are things that are actually preventing you from creating the better world that you want to envision. Like you are not actually enacting directly whatever ideology or politics that you have. You are just sort of passing that off to some sort of thing, some vision of the future, some other generation that you believe in, some idea that the next step of humanity will be the one that fixes the problem, and that's not going to fix the problem. You have to get rid of this idea of new types and old types. You just have to live your life and create the world that you think is the world you need to have. Absolutely. And it's, as I said, yeah, it's a, it's a very philosophical, thematic sort of conclusion where there is a final battle after this with the Frost Brothers. Yeah. But it is so not the focus of the episode that once they both fire their beams, we're done. Like, yeah. like you know, they don't even... Feel, I, I do feel like if they had more time, they, they might have filled in the details of how Garo got through yeah. that and stuff like that. But I think it works for me because once all those people in that room have heard that and get out of there, like it's over like the conflict really will because the people who matter most are changed by it yeah not necessarily bloodman and the sra guy who get blown up immediately and probably would have been stubborn and stupid yeah but like if jamil and lancero have heard that and been changed by it and we know how much capacity they have to go get shit done then shit would get done yeah and if if Godot and tifa can be affected by that and go like they're not people who are maybe going to change the world but but they can go talk about this and be part of the world having had this 
this realization. Um, that's really it. The final conflict in this is not about two mobile suits fighting. Um, not that any of the Tomino shows boil down to just that. Yeah. But that's a bigger component of it, you know. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think Tomino's more interested in having his shows have that kind of messier conclusion where where most of the characters are kind of wrong in yes. the way that they are in Shars, Shars Counterattack to different degrees. Yes, yeah. exactly. So it's a very compelling ending. But before we get to like the final five minutes, I do want to talk about the Frost Brothers. Yeah. Because they come in here at the end. Their whole thing is that they wanted to engineer another... Well, here's the thing. I don't know if the show adequately explains what their whole thing is. Yeah, I can tell I you what they are able to say, and it's that they wanted to engineer another war that's really bad, where they will be able to come out on top and show how supreme they are, because they, they, have, they know they have powers, they know they are special, they were told they weren't, and they want to prove to the world how special they are by destroying it. Now, I think there's some interesting ideas in there. I think the whole idea of two quasi-new types who were rejected for not being quote-unquote good enough yeah who is, didn't i mean because it it ties in with the the dome stuff yeah what dome says is that because they don't fit this generic or like arbitrary definition of what a new type is that they don't do what people expected new types to do because they don't use the flash system whatever bullshit technology yeah. they had made so it's like well you're not a new type you're a category f and they're like fuck you Yes, um, and I, I like you know a category go f yourself is what they are, um, and I think that's a great idea. Yes. I think especially with how it ties into those themes you were just talking about, fascinating, great idea. The show just does not have time in these final episodes no. to pull to pull on those threads and tie them together, and they wind up being kind of generic baddies who never really get the full final fight. I think they would deserve given how powerful they seem. We never really have to see Godot or Jamil or the whole team kind of come together and figure out how to overcome these villains in a way that I think a, a Tomino show would have done very well at the end. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Tomino version of the show, like half these people would be dead. Well, <laughs> yes, of this, course. Yeah. Um, and I do think there's a question of whether this show needed a character death or two. But yeah. um, in any case, something more needed to be there and there just isn't really time for it. And I think they made the right emphases everywhere given what they had. Certainly... You give me the 20 episodes they wanted to do and tell me I can only do it in 10. I couldn't do a better job. Yeah, and yeah, they like making the cuts around the Frost Brothers, like it sucks because it does feel like they are really interesting characters that never fully crystallize and it's really frustrating because it feels like... Because they are the main antagonists. Yeah, and, the, and they very intentionally are clearly playing a really long game with those antagonists and then when you don't have those 10 episodes, that long game just kind of falls apart and it's frustrating. But deciding, well, let's not try to make that up with the time we have, let's, especially with the last two episodes. Let's just kind of ignore that and put the emphasis where it needs to be, which is with the new type stuff and with Garrod and, and Tifa. Yes. Um, there is this very weird cut at the end of this yeah. episode where, so Garrod and the Frost Brothers both basically have access to the satellite cannon. They fire at each other. The, the show culminates in basically a Dragon Ball Z beam struggle. Yes, literally it is a blue beam and a purple beam. So it yes. is just Vegeta and Goku, and then Garo uses Kaioken times four, presumably, yes. and wins. Yes, but basically as the beams collide, the, the, show, the, the, the image kind of gets filled with white, and then we cut. And my initial assumption was, oh, we're going to have some kind of ending where Tifa is like on Earth again. And like at Garrod's grave or something, but they don't have a body. And she's like, but I believe you're still out there. And then we would see like Garrod in space, like wake up or yeah, something. Yeah, there's like a, a shooting star that yeah. goes by in the night sky. But that's not what happens. No. It's just, he's, he's fine. They're all fine. No one died. 
I do one love One of the this. brothers is in a wheelchair, but that's about as bad as it got. Yeah, I need to ask about that because that's a whole weird thing. Yeah, but, but anyway, <laughs> so there's this whole, yeah, there's this whole... Something happened in space. We don't really see the end of the conflict, but we, we, we get the sense that it's over. We have this final montage set to the full version of Warren Weeb's Human Touch. Yeah. And I do think these last five minutes are fucking perfect. Oh, yes. Of, of you have Goddard and Tifa on Earth, kind of a recapitulation of that first scene, as you said in the, in the first episode, where they're hearing about the, the new type con artists. Yeah. And Goddard and Tifa have a nice little laugh about it. Um, you have Jamil and Sarah and Sarah and Lancero meeting as the delegates for the two sides and creating peace talks. Yeah, and Jamil's like, oh, this is Sarah, whatever the name is. Um, she was my partner. And it's like, and he, he's... Because he still has his sunglasses off, right? Yes, yeah. we should have said. He takes the sunglasses off when he basically has the realization about the meaning of new types yes and he's like i no longer need these it's a very persona four moment the, yes. you know he might i wish he had taken them off thrown them to side dramatically like the persona four protagonist but yes he, he does have i do like when he takes them off you're like he has the right like piercing piercing gaze that jameel neat would have the I, bedroom eyes because i had spent a lot of time wondering like because of that scar is he missing an eye what is it and i like that he's not like he's not significantly deformed or anything he just was kind of hiding from the world very yes. char-esque exactly yeah yeah so anyway, um, you have that. You have uh, Wits and uh, Tonya are together. Yeah, Royaby and I guess and Neil are hooked up. That's it's one not versus... confirmed to be romantic, but they are in a car together yeah. driving around. Yeah, um, because it's a very good sequence where then Wits and Royaby get out of the car and like are talking to each other, <laughs> and then Tonya and Neil both get in the same car and just drive away. Um, which feels like that's how that relationship is supposed to go. It's perfect. It's a very Sanji Zoro moment from yeah. One Piece kind of thing, uh-huh. <laughs> where they are left just bickering. Um, that's great. Are there any other major character moments at the end? There we get. Oh, we have a great scene with. We didn't even talk about the kid mechanic. Yeah, kid. Mm-hmm. And and he has he has a shop that he has written on the side of the wall. Freedom Three. Yes. Is the name of his shop. This kid who. That kid is not voiced by Mayumi Tanaka, but they 100% in the casting notes yeah. wrote a Mayumi Tanaka type because that's yes. exactly what he sounds like. Like, what if Mayumi Tanaka voiced a, a young Asanaji from Zeta Gundam, basically? 100%. Yeah. And that character, uh, Paula, or whatever her name is, what is it? Uh, yeah, Sis Paula. Yeah, Paula. Yeah, Sis Paula. She is there working with them. That's a really cool scene, I think. So you get nice closure yeah. on all the characters. You get a good moment where um, the Doctor, who is the most Star Trek character in this show, because he's, he's just great. a Doctor on a Star Trek ship that is yes. on a Gundam show, and he's yeah in like some sort of like emergency clinic, like tent kind of thing, and there's a bunch of soldiers on the opposite sides bickering, and he's like, hey, the war's over, guys, let's yeah. get over it. He's totally Bones McCoy. I mean, yes, yeah, it is. He's he's, he's not like a huge character in the show. He doesn't have a lot of development. He just has that like. He's the doctor on the show, so he's the one that like everyone goes to like consult when they need advice. He's, he's great. He's just a cool dude. I love that character. Um, yeah, but I just, especially with the the Human Touch song playing yeah, underneath the full the three bit, minute version of Human Touch with the fucking sax solo, uh-huh. it is such a gorgeous conclusion. I really love where they put all the individual characters. As much as I do think dramatically. A character death or two might have helped now down the home stretch. I'm very glad they all made it out okay because I like yeah. seeing them all living their lives. I think they bring it to a perfect close for Garod and Tifa of of the and Garod voices this earlier in like the third to last episode where where they ask what he wants to do and he says he wants to 
see the yeah, world. explore the world, see a lot of different places, meet a lot of different people, and like encounter a lot of different, like think a lot of different things. And and that's one of those things where you completely believe that he and Tifa would be together long term because I think she wants that too. Like that's yeah. very much something that brings them together. I love that they're on that quest. And then the closing line from the narrator about the the moon will always be there. Yeah. Um, as many you know kind of things have to be sacrificed over these last ten episodes to get the ship home. They they dock it perfectly. Yes, yeah. It is it is not as elegant as Mobile Suit Gundam because I feel like you know we talked about this Mobile Suit Gundam that in many ways the protracted um, time or the, the contracted time enhances what was there and like makes it really electric. Here, that doesn't have that effect, but the cuts are so smart because it preserves what's most important to the show. And it does end up having, I think, a like really fantastic. Like, I got very emotional watching the end of it. Oh yeah, like had this like really. Oh yeah, no, this is a great show with great characters that uses Gundam in this really fascinating way to tell its own story. Yeah, I think it being shorter and having that contracted last ten episodes makes it feel a little more slight than some other Gundam shows. Yeah, I agree. Like, if I were to put this up against Zeta or Double Zeta or Victory or the other Tomino shows or even G Gundam, which which I think is also better as a whole just because it gets to have those those full moments of expressing itself but that doesn't mean it's a like bad lesser show yeah it, it's still a great gundam series and a really vital part of the canon that should be more well known i'm really glad right stuff and sunrise got it out on blu-ray recently the dvds are out there you can go get it it's, it's had its day in the sun now in terms of being fully released in english there's no dub but you know yeah but don't you don't need it, it. No. yeah they're stupid but um it's there and and i hope more people discover it because you i, I agree I, I watched the end i i felt emotional and i and i you know it's the kind of thing where with any great show it ends and i just sit there for a couple minutes thinking yeah. about it because you feel like oh man that was a complete experience maybe a little lesser than it it could have been but still a complete satisfying and and engaging and and um, enlightening experience. Yeah, it's the kind of thing where I think, especially comparing it to G Gundam, like after Gundam X, because it loses those ten episodes, never gets to have the like huge dramatic highs of like G Gundam exemplifies it because it's very soap opera y. But like the the death of Master Asia at the end of G Gundam is this huge dramatic high point that is so impactful because you had this really um, thoughtful build up over a huge number of episodes for almost the whole show. And obviously there's like, you know, the ending, the climax of Bubble Suit Gundam is a great example of that in a non-G Gundam show um, that also has like this really thoughtful climax for every single character, particularly the Armor of Char stuff that is there because it gets to have what it's trying to do. Zeta Gundam, fucking holy shit, the conclusion of Zeta Gundam, right? Like it gets to have these huge dramatic highs that are culminating on every little single piece that were put into place. Um, and after Gundam X doesn't get to have that, but also, I think After Gundam X is able to weather that maybe better than other shows because what is so great about After Gundam X is how thoughtful it is as a show. And I feel like that is the thing I kind of come away from it is it is the show that's very reflective on itself and on Gundam as a franchise that it's, you know, maybe it doesn't have like the most, because um, I think like, you know, some of the characters like Wits and Royaby are good, but they don't like pop in the way that a lot of like really great Tomino characters that are side characters really pop. But it's not necessarily a show that's about that as much. It is about this sort of like smaller journey about these longer story arcs. Um, really thinking it through thoughtfully, bit by bit, the issues that it runs into. It's more minor key Gundam. 
Yeah. But if all music was in major key, that would be boring. Yes. You know, yeah. you got to have your, your minor key pieces as well. Not that there's an actual like qualitative difference between major and minor key in music. I know what I'm saying, but you get the, the, the allegory. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Good. But yes, um, we are pro after work on the max. That's, oh, that's the point of this podcast. Yes. Uh, in terms of other things we haven't mentioned, I know it's repetitive because all Gundam shows have great music. This show has great music. Yes. And it is another score that sounds completely unlike any other Gundam score. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really like that about it. Yeah. I do like that this one, instead of feeling like it's plagiarizing from Star Wars, it has one track that feels like it's plagiarizing from the main original series Star Trek theme. The bum, 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 bum. It has that, like the first three notes, the bum, bum, bum. And then it goes in a totally different direction. Um, but every time they use yes. that, because it's always used to like when they, at the beginning of an episode, they'll cut to the Frieden and that theme will start playing. And that is the exact context that it's used in Star Trek. So it's like every time it happens, I'm like, like oh, Star Trek. Oh, okay. No, it's after we're going to max. Right. Okay. But it's very good. Yeah. Um, you know, I think the, the animation, we're still in kind of a, a cheap period of Gundam animation, but I think the character designs are so great. Um, you know, I, I like the animation throughout. I, the, probably the weakest aspect of the entire series is mobile suit designs. Yeah, it yeah it feels very recycled. Like particularly stuff like the Airmaster um, and the Leopard and almost all of the enemy mobile suits. There's there's no one suit in the show that's like okay that's this show's like defining like suit and that's its defining yeah. design that like makes it stand apart in the way every other Gundam show tends to have. But I also like what you were talking about earlier with like the history of the show having to kind of come together pretty fast. I understand why they would say. Well, this is supposed to be playing off old Tomino Gundam anyway, so just put Izaku in there and just, you know, let's let's just do that. Because I do think in moments it's very effective of having certain suits just be where they you expect them to be. Yeah. I wish there was a little more playfulness, and I wish there was some design in the show that felt super original. Um, but that's okay. That's uh, In the list of problems to have, this part being solid but not revelatory is okay. Yeah, um, I will say in terms of this is not a mobile suit, but in terms of like the design, um, one thing I really love is the G divisor, which is the shield that the original GX gets that like That's great. unfolds and shoots. They call it the. I think they only ever say this once during the Kara stuff, but they call it the harmonica cannon. I'm like, that is so rad. I love the harmonica yeah, cannon, and it's like it has two big jets on either end, and you like can fly around with it. Like that thing is very cool. That is the best weapon um, in the show. Yeah, and if I had, if I was a kid and watching after Gun Max, and I bought a a Gun Max toy, and then later they separately released a, a G divisor add on. <laughs> I 100% buy it because it's like now this like kind of generic Gundam now it's very cool got the fucking harmonica cannon it is got great the harmonica cannon absolutely uh, I like the Freedom too as a ship it's, yes because it's it's our it's our only ship that's a purely land ship um, yeah it does not go into space mm-hmm. and it, it can't they even say that it, it cannot it's not like the Argama it can't go back and forth um, but the Freedom is cool I like it Freedom is also a great name for a ship um, so yeah, anything else to say about After War Gundam X, Sean? Um, a couple of things. I uh, just want to give another shout out to Human Touch, the the ending theme song, particularly the original English language version, because it was made as an English language song, but it, was, it is an original song for After War Gundam X. It is sung by a singer named Warren Weeby, who um, sadly like passed away in the 90s at a pretty young age. Um, but he just like a really, really gorgeous singer. Yes. Um, and it, it's kind of interesting looking into him because... He never kind of broke big as a singer, but he kind of got close a couple of times. The main thing that's like really impressive is there's a video of him singing a duet with Celine Dion at some concert, and he's like able to totally hold his own with Celine Dion, which is impressive. 
very fucking impressive. Um, and then he also did a lot of work with different Japanese musicians, which I, I've never, I haven't seen anything that specifically connects the dots of how this song entirely came together, but that must be what it is because he's on a couple of um, soundtracks of different kind of Japanese jazz players. Um, and he's on, he did some tours in Japan with like different musicians and did some stuff in Japan. So that song is just great. I love it so much. It's one of my favorite ending themes. Um, and it is, you know, it's cool. Um, it's very rare, but it's very cool when it happens when an original English language song is made for an anime with like English artists. It has like very different feel to it. Um, that is interesting. And I want to shout out the the first opening, Dreams yeah. by Romantic Mode. One of my, I know I mentioned it earlier, but one of my favorite Gundam themes, probably my favorite from the the AU era so far. And because just every time it kicks out of the cold open into that, dun 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 dun, dun, dun it's it's such a great opening i think the animation for it as well uh and it's just such a kick-ass song yeah and then i think the last thing i want to bring up here i don't think we have to talk about this a lot because i think you know we don't need to analyze this part of it but in an interview that um uh, takamatsu shinji gave to um i think this is not this original website but out of 2015 at an anime convention he basically had an interview um and somebody asked him about after work in mx and he gave an interesting answer um, about like basically to you what is like After War Gundam X about and here's like some of the meta stuff that we've touched on um, but, but I think it's interesting to hear his words on it so I don't know who translated this but this is um, what I found actually the way new type is used in Gundam X is code for Gundam Gundam the franchise itself I myself started in the anime industry believing in a good future but I soon realized things were not going in the right direction so we needed to change so if you replace all the instances of the word new type with the word Gundam in Gundam X, you might be able to see what I really meant. When watching Gundam X, you see characters and ideas about how new types are exploited, or those who worship him, or those who are told they are not really new types in Sulk, or those who have no idea about the new type phenomenon at all. Replace new type with Gundam, and you will see that there are those in the world who exploit Gundam, those who are very religious about Gundam, or production staff who have to fight the notion of Gundam and create Gundam that is not Gundam. But what is revealed at the end of the show is that all this is just an illusion. Nothing is about Gundam. We all just need to be working in the entertainment field to create shows of value, and that is the better future that we all believed in when we watched the very first original Gundam. Man, I don't think I could put it any better than that. Yeah. That's I had not thought about it that way, but that to me is proof of how thoughtfully, lovingly made this show was. And I don't know if there's any better single statement we can make than that. Yeah, that it is It is a show that like is, and it's, I think, a thing to lead into the show we'll talk about on the next episode is this struggle about what does it mean to make a Gundam after, specifically about After Shar's counterattack? Because nothing after Shar's counterattack was as successful as what as, as that period of Gundam, right? Like F ninety one was a movie they had to kind of cobble together from a TV show they wanted to make but could make. Victory Gundam got savaged in the ratings um, and is still a show that's not particularly well liked by the fan base, even if it's a very good show. G Gundam now has a pretty powerful cult following here and in Japan, but was not hugely successful when it came out. It is a weird thing. Gundam Wing has a, a decent amount of popularity, but is also not that good of a TV show. And then afterward, Gundam X is a show that is struggling with this idea actively within the text about what does it mean to follow up on these ideas? How do we use concepts like new type? How do we use these character archetypes and reconfigure it in new ways? And that is what Shinji Takamatsu was struggling with in sort of how to construct this and thinking through the Gundam as a franchise in 1996, um, 15 years after the original show had aired. And then next time we are going to see what it looks like now when Yoshiki Tomino comes back to the franchise 
um, what, like six years um, after Victory Gundam, after a bunch of shows have come out in between, a couple of years since the last Gundam show had been on air, and how does he reapproach this franchise? And yeah, I think it's, it's I'm so excited. Oh, yeah. Well, let me say about Terminator Gundam, because Sean, you have said several times on this show and on Weekly Stuff, yeah. the Weekly Stuff podcast, that your top three Gundam works are Original 79, War in the Pocket, and Turn A Gundam. Yes. So you are you are hyping that as ho- far as it can be hyped in the realm of Gundam. I will say, I have watched the first three episodes of Turn A. I did that last night. And I am intrigued. That's very good. Yeah. So uh, overall, Jonathan, yeah, I would give After War Gundam X an A. I'm very excited for next time for us to turn that A upside down as we dive into Turn A Gundam called Turn A Gundam.